Welcome, everyone, to the Boys Cast Interviews. The Boys Cast Interviews. Interviews. That's the thing. They don't know about what we're capable of intellectually. This this one was quite the rabbit out of the hat. Yeah, this is. So there's this guy, Balaji. He's been right about everything. He's one of the probably the best Twitter accounts. Me and Danny just spent like, you know, uh, a couple hours with him after the podcast hanging in. It was like. We we're both smartest guy I've ever met. <laughs> yeah, smartest guy I've ever met by far. Like I, my head hurts a little bit right now. We both laugh being like, "Fuck, that guy's smarter than us." <laughs> <laughs> I knew he was smarter than us. It's, I'm well, just yeah. concerned with how much the extent, how, but, how wide the margin. Well, is. it's interesting because, like I said, I, I've uh, forever ago saw him. Uh, like on different podcasts popping up and I was very like, who the hell is this guy? Yep. Like, so anyways, uh, I'll actually we talk about it at the beginning then how like we ended up having him on the podcast, but I thought this was like super cool. So awesome. Awesome. Podcast. Everyone, the boys cast interview series, you know, the Tuesdays be coming at you. Yeah. You know what to do. All right. This is Bella G to me. This was like the whole thing was super like very internet where you're like, are you in New York? And I'm like, yeah, yeah well, I, I happen to actually be in New York right <laughs> no, now. No, because me and Danny yeah. have talked about you multiple times, even on the podcast. And I've, you were like one of those people that every time I kind of saw you pop up somewhere, I remember the first time it was Tim Ferriss. I was like, who is this? Like, I just thought, <laughs> we both thought you were the man. Yeah. And then, so Chris Williamson had him on and he tagged me in something. And then I was like, yo, heard your podcast with Biology. I thought it was sick. And then he messaged me immediately. And I was like, if you're ever in New York, and he's like, I'm here right now. <laughs> and it was like, it was like five seconds of being like, oh, this podcast was good to being like, now you're in a studio, which yeah. is, is that not peak internet? That, well, that is actually, that's a lot of what I talk about in the book because there's like these, the, the actual, day. exactly, our community is really online and then, it's, you know, it's there. But so do you, you want to, should I intro? How are you? How are you well, I'll, sorry, I'll yeah. say why, the, sure. the quick thing of why I felt like people like you or the like opinions I think are so sick is because mm. everyone is always talking about like what should happen. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And then I feel like you're kind of talking about like what's likely to happen mm. and then what to do about it. Right. Which is why I feel like me and him both immigrated here too, right? From Canada. Oh, really? So okay. The, yes. Yeah. And I, you talked about that too, where there's like a different mentality where all of this in Canada and we're like, yeah, we're, yeah, that's why you leave. You have to leave. Right. right. And everyone's yeah, still there being like how to fix this. It's like. So it felt like that kind of was the type of stuff you were talking about. Uh, absolutely. Right. Because like, the thing is. Um, it is way easier to be against something than, than to be for something. And most of the time, like most people's affection for a politician is based nowadays, especially on what they're against, more than what they're for. Yeah, of and, course. And so everybody can be very precise about what they're against. When you get them to actually say what they're for, suddenly a coalition breaks into like 50 different factions. Yeah, because right? people are like, I'm not for that. And you're like, okay, well, not that then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. And it's kind of like, you know, think about all the places you are not versus the place you are. It's it's kind of like that, but in ideological space rather than physical space, you know? So, uh, you know, part of what I was trying to do with, with uh, you know, V1 of the network state, and so just, you know, for the audience, if, if they don't know, go- a little primer. Yeah, yeah, so go to uh, thenetworkstate.com. It's a new book that um, 
that I just wrote. Uh, Can I describe it and you yeah, tell me sure, if I'm good, right? Good. Sure, sure. Yep. This is what I thought. Like, essentially, you're saying if the way that you describe it is you're not, like, crazy bullish on America as being, like, the sole center of everything moving sure. forward. And then with you kind of see the world as, like, centralized versus decentralized. And what it looks like moving forward is people sort of form communities online and essentially they could even like buy land and have presidents and stuff like that and that's kind of what you think the future might look like or if it does look like something like that you outlined how it will happen yeah so one thing i want yes definitely definitely in the ballpark and close but uh, i want to just kind of offer a few you know asterisks whatever right (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. so uh i would say uh, i'm definitely pro American values in the sense that there's certain universal values of which the United States of America was the best representative of those, you know, fair play, equality under the law, rule of law, you know, um, you know, abiding by contracts, treating people with tolerance, all that type of stuff, you know, which uh, has unfortunately, I, you're like, is, is that going away? It is unfortunately going away to some extent. You're getting more tribal. You're getting people mad at each other. But we just moved here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I know. But I know. we moved here from Canada. Where you moved from Canada, uh, right? One degree worse. So. so, so in sort of the same way that that torch was passed from, arguably from Greece to Rome, and then after a long delay from like Rome to the UK and UK to the US, right? Like, and each person being an imperfect messenger. You know, there's. Uh, I think the next torch pass is uh, from the Americas to the internet. The internet is not the same as America. People think of it as the same, but it's really not the same. And in fact, in many ways, it's more, um, it, it is to, the internet is to the Americas what the Americas were to the old world of Europe. It is, for example, it's a more global kind of thing. There's more people there from all over the world. Uh, you have, you go from common law of the UK to the constitution of the US to the smart contract of the blockchain. You just get more precise about what you're doing, right? So it's both more capitalist and more inclusive. You know, so it's like a new frontier. Kinda. It's a new frontier, right? So it kind of, if you think it's like V three, right? And one What's way to think. Wait, what's V three? Just the third uh, version. Version, thir- version, oh, three version three. Okay. Yeah, yeah, version three. Bono. I thought it was like, you know. No, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so it's a, it's not a podcast abbreviation. That's right. So, um, I mean, one way of thinking about that, I mentioned this, and it's something that most people don't have uh, what we would call priced in, right? What is not priced in, for example, is the fact that the majority of English speakers online in the next ten years or so are going to be Indian. Why? Because about a billion something Indians have just gotten online and many Indians speak English and many more are quickly learning English due to being online. And Indians crush it. Well, there's some Indians who are quite good. You know, I mean, not all of some are quite good. And But the thing is that that internet, unlike the Chinese internet, is not air-gapped from the American internet. The Chinese internet is its own world, right? Like, because of the Great Firewall, they've got, they've got a Galapagos Islands ecosystem where they've got different versions of everything and things are, you know, you've got you know, fish with feathers. Everything is like yeah, remixed all their there. own apps that are essentially like the apps we use, but just specifically like yes, though though like it is WeChat all, and stuff like WeChat. But but uh, you know what is what's useful? There's a book called AI Superpowers by Kai Fu Lee. Okay, it came out right before the pandemic. It's it's now about a few years old, but it'll give you a snapshot of this sort of Galapagos Islands ecosystem. Where, for example, one of the biggest companies in China is like the Chinese version of Groupon. It's called Meituan, but it did a lot more. Th- Imagine if Groupon executed extremely well. 
right? Nothing against Groupon, but you know, the American version did only like so-so. The Chinese version had like amazing will to power CEOs and uh, you know, or CEO and, and did did extremely well. That wasn't just they like a deal better. It wasn't just deal better. <laughs> they, they, they do a lot of other stuff, right? Were they before yeah. Groupon or uh, I think I think they were they, they were at first a Groupon clone, but now they far Groupon had like the them. most insane hype at the time. Everybody's like, what is at this thing? And now yes. it's like, yeah, I get five dollars off of of sandwich. Some Broadway but, show I didn't even really want to go to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but the thing and is, you couldn't even cash it in anymore. Well, it's interesting though, Andrew Mason's original, I mean, look, it's hard to build a business and so on. And the fact that he got it to public is, is, uh, is good. But yes, there was a huge amount of hype about it 10 years ago. But the entire concept of crowdfunding, having a, a crowdfunded deal tip over if you have enough collective action online. You know, he had actually, Andrew Mason had started the thing as um, the point, which was like this, uh, attempt to try to get people to cooperate online to do something together we found was that it was easiest to cooperate to get them to buy something at that time that was like 10 12 years ago perhaps you might be able to get them to cooperate to do something of more significance now today 10 12 years later when there's a lot more tools that have been developed you know so but to your point right so yes i'm not that bullish on the particular state as a guarantor of those values but i am bullish on those values so how do we actually work around that how do we actually um you know, preserve some sort of global rule of law. You know, one way I put it, I, I had this article that came out in uh, in Foreign Policy a, a few months ago, and it's like, you know, the U.S. is less and less a guarantor of the rules-based order. China doesn't even pretend to be. You know, it is essentially just it's self-interested for the Han, you know, you can do a deal. Yeah, they're almost like kind of similar, but one's like, yeah, that's the deal. And the other's like, no, we're not like that. Yeah, 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 (laughs) exactly. Right. So I talked about how, you know, there's this weird convergence of the two things, you know, in in China, they call it human flesh search. And here we call it cancellation. Okay. They call that, that's what they call it there? Yeah, it's, it, it tra- I mean, trans- search? just think about what that sounds like. Right? <laughs> Do they call it human flesh search that's culture? <laughs> well, no, no. Oh, look at these comedians talking about human Hashtag flesh search human culture, flesh culture again. Yeah, so human flesh search, basically, you know, it's a very evocative term. It's like, you know, there's this guy online, he said something wrong, and so then these- When he went to Amsterdam, he said he was doing a bit of a human flesh search. <laughs> well, okay, sure. So, so this is a different version. So this is like, uh, this, is, uh, this is the unfun version, I guess. So- um, <laughs> Basically, they find somebody saying something bad online, and then all of these Chinese netizens, their equivalent of 4chan, just goes and trawls through to find who this person is, where they are. It's like pawing through all of the flesh of all the humans to find that one person who said some thought crime, and then the whole internet piles on them, right? That's what happened to Uncle Roger. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah, Lots of people, I'm sure. Yeah, this comedian who was on our show, but the same thing happened. Said something about off-color about Taiwan, like a joke or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like he had a whole PR fiasco and... Right, yeah. exactly. So so there's analogs of all this stuff on the Chinese internet, but it's often like the inverse. For example, you're not um, you're not criticized for being uh, you know, too nationalist, but not for not being nationalist enough. Okay? Yeah, so of course. They have in their own way gone to this ultra right ethnic nationalist level since Xi Jinping took office, just to, you know, quantify this because it's less visible to us, you know, being outside. Uh, on the order of 90% of like governors and so on in, in China were like replaced, like the Politburo, the standing committee. Uh, there's various facts and figures I'll probably like tweet afterwards to get the exact numbers, but something that if I recall correctly, like 57 out of 63 of a particular group were replaced by Xi Jinping going into like 2017. Cleaned house. Cleaned house, right? It's like so, sports. Well, yeah, so about like right. 90% of people were just like replaced like this. And then you started really seeing the change in attitude where the sort of more quiet internationalist capitalist attitude of the, you know, Deng, uh, Jiang Hu era, you know, those are like the three leaders of China prior to uh, prior to Xi Jinping, um, 
that kind of sort of quieter multilateralist, like we're just making stuff and selling it to the world, hide your, you know, hide your strength and bide your time, that'll gone. Now, so, so-called bull warrior diplomacy, where they're just very aggressive. Bull warrior is like the Chinese Rambo, okay? It's become very popular over there. And uh, that's, that's the, so China has like a, their like big movie that the, it's like yeah, a Rambo. Yeah, Wolf, Wolf Warrior 2. If you've never seen it. And he's go, like fighting for China. Yeah, so go watch it because it is something where it is like Rambo, except it's the Americans that are the bad guy. Oh, you know what? I saw a preview of it because it's such, it's like a, the biggest movie, right? Mm-hmm. The absolute, and the whole thing is, yeah, America's the bad guy. Yeah. They're so, fighting against America. I love well. that guy as a dad that's like Frank Stallone. <laughs> like, it's like exactly the same. Yeah. So like Wolf Warrior 2 or more recently, the Battle of Lake Changjin, right? Um, that's the one I saw, yeah. Okay, right. So both of those were like, I think, number one in the Chinese box office. I think Battle of Lake Changjin is now number one globally. Even as Hollywood is sort of tanking, China has sort of taken over many aspects of 20th century America. It's got a gigantic, probably the single largest market, all, all those kinds of things. And um, it basically shows, again, this all of the Hollywood you know, techniques, but you know, the ominous music plays on top of you know, the American military. Yeah. yeah okay. It, it is disorienting. I mean, that's how like a lot of people here would probably like to make American movies too. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that's true. Except the difference is, I feel that when they're made in the U.S., there's also an American good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. There's there's the activist or what have you who stands up yeah, to the yeah, evil military, yeah, that's right? That's exactly what it is. That's right. Stands so, up to those people uh, storming the Capitol. Correct. So the problem... Puts the rainbow flags on them as a ceremony. <laughs> what have you. Flags. Okay. Right. Exactly. So... But the problem and solution are both coming from within the house. So therefore, it's like it's one thing. But when you see it just totally overseas, it's quite a different. That is a yeah. different hierarchy, a different tribe versus this tribe. Like old school America. Well, yeah. Okay. Right. So so now the thing is, it's worth it's worth watching this because um, it, it's just uh, it's just getting a sense, a temperature check on where other cultures are at. Right. Yeah. Uh, and you know, this is something which is. Um, I, I find it interesting because I mean, for example, can you? Most people don't know how China got rich. Do you know how China got rich, or rich manufacturer iPhones? Well, so that's part of it, right? But like, I mean, they were communist. Yeah. How did they? What happened? They like opened up the markets. But yeah, but what? What exactly? Like, no, I don't know. I, I just thought they kind of. Uh, I think it was like a lot of like bootleg DVDs. To start. <laughs> sure. So what happened was Deng Xiaoping, who was uh, a communist revolutionary also, but he was purged multiple times, managed to win power in what was effectively a coup in the mid 1970s. He took over and without changing the brand of communism, started doing things that were these so-called special economic zones, um, starting with one across the causeway from from Hong Kong called Shenzhen. That worked and he did, He called it communism even though it was capitalism, okay? And uh, that grew like a weed and so then he started cloning it across the east coast of, of China and uh, you know more special economic zones cropped up, and eventually you know he was able to essentially turn around the country. And he took over. He, he took power at like I think age seventy eight. And most people thought he was going to die like soon, but he managed to run it until like his nineties. Oh, wow. And then he transitioned power in the early nineties over to Jiang Zemin, and uh, and then that kind of that like began. So he was like a startup founder at age seventy eight. Right. Okay. Which is I mean just think about the stress of running China. Okay. Now, there's lots of criticism one can make of Deng. I think Ezra Vogel's biography is probably, you know, one of, one of the best on this. But um, it is, uh, you know, there's also, if you want to, just a quick article. NPR has this uh, article, and it's called The Secret Document That Transformed China. One thing that people don't get is, you know, when you talk about what communism was, capitalism was punishable by death. 
Okay. Just to give you a sense, before Deng, you know, became the... And then he made it like, we're basically going to do it, but we're going to call it the old thing. Exactly. He, he had the saying, very famous saying, black cat, white cat, doesn't matter if it catches mice. But before Deng, uh, you know, there was a, there's a province called Xiaoging, and there are a bunch of farmers there. And, um, you know, the, the, communism was interpreted, in not just in China, but other places, to mean that there wasn't even any personal property or anything. The teeth in your head, they belonged to the collective, okay? So... All these farmers, they were like on basically just starving. But if they kept any grain for themselves, then, you know, the 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 guy, the commissar who's overlooking that district would notice. Right. So what these guys did is they did the something. Worst. That, yeah, it's terrible, right. <laughs> that would be the worst. So so these guys is these you farmers. come in and you're like looking extra chubby and you're like nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. So because so essentially what these guys did, these farmers, they signed a secret contract, which was itself contracts were illegal. OK, they signed a secret contract that basically said, OK, look, we're all going to take some of the the grain that we uh, make this time and uh, if we are killed for this then the ones who are not killed will take care of our children okay that's the kind of that was the level wow. basic profit sharing and a contract was so taboo in China that they like signed this secret document and hid it in their their roof okay and so what happened once once they had the scream and all these guys once they could keep some of what they earned wow they had a gigantic bumper harvest so of course the authorities were like Hmm. You seem to have a lot of green nowadays. Yeah. And so they were going to get killed, but uh, Ding raised up his hand and was like, "Okay, no, we're do we're doing the new communism this time, right? It's it's capitalism now, we call it communism, right? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But that's like the reason that story is kind of important to know is just like how insane this stuff got, right? And importantly, you know, the the Red Terror, the excesses of communism in the Soviet Union happened in the 1910s, you know, 1930s, right? But there was like a lag and it became like insane in China within living memory, you know, mm -hmm. in the 1960s, 1970s, you had the Great Leap Forward, you had the, well, 1950s, Great Leap Forward, 1960s and 70s, the Cultural Revolution. So within living memory, this thing that had, that had sort of burned its way out through the population of the Soviet Union, which had settled into sort of this Brezhnev, like it, it wasn't as murderous, was just like carving a swath through China in the 60s and 70s is still very live. You know, probably, you know, people listening to this podcast were alive when people were being killed for capitalism in China. Okay. okay. Now, from that to Chinese tech billionaires in one generation is so insane. Yeah, that's wild. That, you know, you have to, you have to sort of understand what kind of turnaround happened in their society, you know, just to understand, like, how much of a head of steam they have. They feel highly motivated and what have you. They, and, like, they're, yeah, and they're Like they're trying right to catch now. up. Well, they're trying to catch up. They also, I mean, or take over. Or take for over. for example, yeah. So there's there's aspects of um, U.S. history that other people would consider very obscure that are now about 1619 or something like that. Okay, other cultures ha pick through. You know, there's there's about a hundred billion people who've ever lived. Okay, so you can pick through a hundred billion lifetimes to find those things that kind of support your case. And so, what is China? What's big in China? The Opium Wars. Do you know what the Opium Wars were? Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, like you know, whether it's the British or actually the the Americans were allied with them at one point. This is called Eight Nations Alliance, um, to essentially fight to deal drugs in China for profit and like addict the the population to it. So and that yeah, it's pretty easy to paint that as like the bad guys were coming in to try to get everyone addicted to drugs. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And so so essentially, this stuff which is not stressed in the West is big over there, really big, right? Where it's like some tiny thing that you kind of hear about here. It's, it's a footnote in a, in a history book here, but it's like a huge front page daily. It's even still. Because, yes. because Like they have like We Remember shirts like kind of thing. It's politically useful, right? Yeah, of course. And so I talk about a lot of this in the book, which is essentially, you know, you will – essentially each regime will have propaganda that is useful to it that is not useful to the other side, right? 
And uh, so it's not so much usually, sometimes what they say is false, sometimes what they say is true, it's just not useful to the side, so it doesn't even acknowledge it, right? And so what, what, while they're bigger in the opium wars, they don't really talk too much about Mao and the Great Leap Forward and all that stuff. They'll say Mao was seven parts good and three parts bad. Why? Well, at least he unified the country and he kicked out the Japanese. Okay, that's the, well, you know, and he's good for that, right? Uh, you know, he, he didn't have to do it quite that way. The, you know, he was, there were many other problems with that, but that's sugar-coated. Our, that's our <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very sugar-coated. Very yeah, yeah. sugar-coated. Yeah, yeah. Extremely yeah. sugar-coated. They killed right? a few people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what's, what's, Everyone's going to kill a few people. What's interesting about it, exactly, exactly, right? So what's interesting about it is there's actually three very different groups that are all invested in that idea that China is, quote, communist. The first is the Chinese Communist Party itself, right, which wants to maintain that Deng's coup in the 1970s was, like, like continuous, right? That it was still the same same thing, right? Uh, the second are many Republicans who want to say, "Oh, the Chinese Communist Party," you know, right? Mm. And the third are many <laughs> tankies who project onto China. Look how good it's gone. Yeah, th- exactly. Th- right. So, whereas really, what they are is ultra nationalist. You know, they they do use communist-y stuff. They are doing like the so-called common prosperity doctrine, where they're going after lots of rich guys, and so, but. But yeah, that's like the Alibaba guy and stuff. Yeah, like yeah. That. So, Wasn't it that he sort of he had all these opinions and then like he disappeared for two months he and he came little, back and he was like got a little I'm too big for his bridges. That's and right. Then, uh, so they so one, him. one way exactly. So one way of thinking about it is communism is whatever the Chinese Communist Party says it is. Okay, and um, what that means is basically um, you know they're at the center of a network and. Uh, you know, you, you could be, uh, you know, it could be Xinjiang, it could be uh, Taiwan, it could be Hong Kong, it could be Falun Gong, you know, which is like a religious movement. It could be the tech, you know, libertarianish capitalists of Jack Ma. It could be, um, you know, Boshi Lee, who's like, who's an ultra Maoist and, and so on and so forth. There's various kinds of deviations from their center of opinion. Some are to the left, some are to the right, some are to the libertarian, right? Doesn't matter. Anything that deviates too far is not communist. Communism is whatever the Chinese Communist Party says it is. So what's the center of opinion in, like, North America? Democracy is whatever the American Democrat Party says it is. I think I heard you say so. Yes. Because, you know, it's so funny because that was, like, one of the questions that kept, like, I kept asking people and no one had a good answer because I was, like, I always hear people say they're against democracy. And I'm, like, I really, I'm, like, I don't get what that means because everything they say, it's, like, stuff they do, too. It's, like, so so, like, they're just, like, I guess use, like, Trump, the election thing, but it's, like, they did this. I don't get it. Okay, okay. So let's, let's take it, let's use, let's start with different words and then come back to this one, right? Um, Something like Christianity or communism or capitalism or democracy is such a capacious word that it can contain both X and its opposite. For example, right, Christianity originally, you know, the original Christianity around the time of the Romans was a slave revolt that tore down the empire. Later, that same word Christianity was used to uh, basically justify the so-called Holy Roman Empire, which styled itself a successor to the Roman Empire. And it was like a Christian fusion, right? Um, The concept of a Christian king was sort of oxymoronic, at least for the early Christians, right? Like this was like a this was like a slave revolt, basically, right? And, uh, you know, when you think about uh, communism, communism also has meant both killing all the capitalists and capitalists joining the Communist Party more recently. Right. And when you think about capitalism itself, think about what, you know, 1800s agrarian capitalism versus 1900s industrial capitalism versus, you know, 2000s technological capitalism. I mean, it's not quite the opposite. 
but it's very different, right? Yeah. You know, the kinds of things, yeah, you know, how you're counting. Right? Or like the tech version now versus the, the tech version. Exactly. That's what I mean. So, I mean, the technological capitalism of today in the okay. 2000s, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So in the same way, like democracy means many different things. For example, one thing that you can do if you go to Google, uh, Google engrams or Google books, actually, and there's a thing where you can type in and look at old words. I think it's engrams or, or Google books, right? I think it's Google engrams. You can type in republic, comma, democracy. And what you'll see is republic, people used to refer to the U.S. as a republic, and that's like declined. It's more of like a Twitter thing that people say to argue now. Kind well, of. Yeah, so, so what you're going uh, to get is you're going to get probably, in my view, you're going to get the Republicans starting to say our republic. And I, will, <laughs> I will actually, now that you say that, I do notice there's more people on the right who refer to it as a republic. Exactly. Almost so, uh, as a, like a correction because they're always like, this is a democracy, and they're like, it's not. Well, or, or ba- it's not supposed and to, to be. show what side they're on, I think, like almost yeah. verbally, you know, it's like the patriot thing. You yeah, know, like, yeah. Only right wing people call themselves patriots on Twitter. Yeah, exactly. People That's on right. the left do never refer to themselves as patriots, even though they might be patriots. Sometimes, like, a politicians will say, like, if you were an actual patriot, you would do. Uh, this yes <laughs> yes and, and so and that's like this sort of double reversal where you try to use the other guy's language on them but um, and by the way on this like you know I, I think of Democrat Republican is becoming like Sunni versus Shiite so I don't want any part of it yeah, I just want to like be the best theory well it's actually so let me actually put some meat on those bones right uh, something like 96% of Democrats uh, are not married to Republicans okay and if you look, there, if you Google, uh, for example, uh, Vox uh, actually has a link. To, uh, Google Vox, uh, Democrat, Republican, network diagram, polarization, I think 2011, okay? And what you'll see, I might put this in the you know, show notes or there afterwards, is um, a relatively unified, you know, r- r- roughly bipartisan Congress in the 1940s that pulls apart gradually into two groups that only vote with each other. It's straight party line votes over and over again. The only, you know, bipartisan votes are for like bailouts or bombings or things like that, okay? Which are the, you know, when they do something both stupid and evil, it's bipartisan, if you've heard that term, right? And so the leadership is pulling into really two different groups. And um, there's a CGR 2017 article. It's like Breitbart changed right-wing eco- media ecosystem that shows a similar diagram, not at the con- level of Congress, but the level of the population. Again, at the network level, you can see red and blue becoming literally separate networks, right? Now, what that, what that means is it's not one nation under God indivisible. It's two nations, the Democrat and Republican nations. I will say that, like... I do see in real life a lot of people where like the dude's sort of like a little more right wing and the girl's sort of more a little liberal and it kind of it seems to work. Yeah, but but if you look at least but if if you look at the numbers on this, who they actually vote for when, when they it's marry more about the cities. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it's becoming tribal, right? It's literally becoming something where ideology becomes biology in one generation. Meaning, basically, it's like Protestant Catholic. It's like Sunni Shiite. This is not something, if you look at all the graphs. Just like, like any other one. Yeah, exactly. It's it's becoming two ethnic groups. Like, Republicans marry Republicans and Democrats marry Democrats. And they live yeah. in these different places. That's the sort that's happening, right? That's when they're talking, people are talking about the divorce. like The, people, like the national tax, divorce. National divorce. Exactly. Like so, that. divorce has already happened in the cloud. We're seeing it start to materialize on the land. Basically, like Twitter and Truth Social. Yeah, right, exactly. So, exactly. In the cloud, you already have these social networks. You start to have apps that are right-coded apps and podcasts and stuff that are left-coded because you have foundational premises that divide these worldviews, you know? And uh, and then you, you're starting to get them physically sorting. Yeah, because every know? argument just gets back to the original argument that you disagree on. Exactly. That's right. And so, you know, the thing about this is... Um, what's interesting is the reason one way you can show that's really just tribes is during COVID, uh, Democrats, Republicans switched sides several times. 
you know, at first it was extremely, you know, uh, right coded to think, oh, the coronavirus could be an issue because, you know, but and yeah, the left was a huge <laughs> switch, actually. Yeah, it's a huge switch, right? Like you can't, you know, you can't explain this by some reference to kind of immutable right and left. At first, it was something where the China virus was a huge deal and it was racist to talk about the China virus, then switch sides. And then, you know, Trump was saying, you know, we need to slow down the testing. This is not a big deal, et cetera. And, you know, the, the left is saying, oh, my God, you know, we need to test more, et cetera. Total switch from and it's just to oppose ago. him, do you think? Just to oppose like, him. Is it just a or, yeah, both capital? to oppose each other? Both to oppose and each other. And you kind of predicted like yeah, that, I don't even want to get yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. He's always right about yeah. everything. Well, I, 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 I'm not always sure. I mean, you know, some of my investments work, some of them don't. That's how I kind of record them. But I do think I got this one correct mostly. Um, the so then what happened is Trump came out in favor of vaccines, and then you know Kamala Harris and others said that they would potentially not take a Trump vaccine because it'd been rushed through. So many people said that. So yeah. she said right? that during a debate. Yeah, during a debate. Yeah, and then it flipped again. Where now the right is, you know, like anti-vax and, you know, some of them are skeptical of the germ theory of disease and the left wanted masks for four-year-olds forever or whatever, whatever right? Yeah. And so, I mean, it is not necessarily that like, oh, both sides have a piece of the truth. It could be that both sides are actually like gone in some ways, you know, and you just kind of be like, okay, just let them slug it out, you know, like as... So is that what you see like as an individual, you're just like... That, like why unless it like what like why get involved in this yeah, like, fight that's just going to go on forever once see the thing is like when we read I guess about, if you really believe in one of the things maybe that's right so when you when you read about other societies in like space and time do you want to get in the middle of the protestants and catholics when they're arguing over the whether the wafer is the body of christ or not right <laughs> yeah like i don't want to get in the middle of that right like slug it out you know good luck right you know may the best man win you know and just just uh -huh. basically be away from that same with like you know, Sunni Shia, do you want to be in the middle of the Iran Iraq conflict? And his girlfriend arguing over a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> or something. Yeah, exactly. Something you know? like that. You know? um, no, yeah. But do you think that there's but some people who, who will essentially say, like, oh, it's a. It must be nice to not have to, to be able to sit on the sidelines because for them, they go, this is like real world. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing. First is the folks who say that are usually, uh, those are the folks who are usually also complaining about white privilege. They, they tend to be the most privileged whites, yes. you know, so to speak, Absolutely. right? And so, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like Barnard, bam. You could just be like, okay, which private school? Sidley? Okay, which one did you go? You know, but also, like, anytime, like, anyone, I feel like when you're trying to do anything like, uh, moving forward, at least in your own life, anyone that starts being like, "Oh, I like, yeah, I would do that," but I have like some moral. You're just like, oh, those are the people that tune there's out immediately. Immediate, but there's yeah. an immediate counter argument to that, by the way. And you know, you know, the game of slaps in New York. Like, you yeah. know, you go like this, like this, you know, on top of each other, right? So what they're trying to do is you're putting forth an argument and they're asserting a dominance move. They're trying to say, you're a bad person, right? They're not arguing true-false. They're saying you're bad. Oh, it must be nice to be so privileged that you don't have to be concerned about this. And then, uh, so, you know, you can try arguing true-false, but you have to actually go back with they're a bad person. Well, actually, um, the rest of the world doesn't want to get involved in another white on white war. So white and white violence, why don't you guys get, get and all these other poor people around the world can, can go and build up their own economies. Right. And, uh, you know, so the thing is that somebody like that, essentially they're like, uh, they, they don't even realize how aggressive they're being necessarily verbally. What they're trying to do is insult you and gain status. And you just can't let that, you just have to well, do that. I always you know? feel like too, I think that's exactly right. And then also you're like, sort of like a casualty to their agenda. Like you're not even on the same wavelength. It's just like, right. you're, you're trying to do something and it's just like a little bit in the way for them. So yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. like, so you should not like, don't even <laughs> like these people are irrelevant. They're, they're, they're actually very, uh, a good way to think about it. We know the term greedy. Right, these people are very status greedy. 
Okay, they want to always have the highest status in any interaction. They're not willing to just engage with you as a peer and so on. They want to assert a dominance move of you're a sinner somehow. Oh, and they've got a practice repertoire really of, of sort of verbal tools, scalpels and hammers and so on, <laughs> yeah. right? That actually were kind of developed in academia to win various kinds of faculty lounge battles. Okay. Bad nerd battles. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, so, so all of these battles in like humanities, you know, departments and so on, those weapons spilled out onto Twitter. They work a little less well, Especially now, like, right? it's like the debating stuff. Like the amount of people who you go on Twitter and just the average person on Twitter just knows every, you know, like debating Latin, debating term. And you're like, why do you all know this? Right, exactly. Because it's mimetic, right? Yeah. You know, in fact, actually I had this, uh, um, hold on, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this, read this tweet to you just because it kind of illustrates something. Hold on. My dude, bad take. <laughs> this ain't it, chief. Read the room and do better. I know you hope she sees this, bro, but as a haver of good opinions, you're posting cringe. So stop licking damn boots, log off, touch grass, and delete your account. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like all of them in just one. It's all of them in just one, right? And, yeah. and so the thing about this is I posted this. That's how I tweet. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the thing is once you kind of post them all together, right, um, and, you know, people at first didn't get that it was parodic because it was, it, was it was really like 11 cliches or whatever. parodic? Like, like a parody. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, so it was like 11 cliches like back to back, right? Yeah. And what I call this, I call this down talk. You know, it's like this condescending tone. Yikes. That, you missed yeah, yikes. Yikes. Big, yikes. Big yikes. <laughs> big yikes. Big yikes. Uh, you know, uh, you, you know the, that's a quiet part out loud. Uh, stay in your lane. Not yeah. a good look. Take the L. Ratio. It's a, right? it's a person that was like a doll that you pull the thing in and only has like 11 uh, like phrases that yes. can come out. Yeah. That's right. So so basically, we're, it's like GPT-3. Do you know what that is? It's like an AI yeah, thing. Yeah, that, the AI. The, uh, similar like It's like dolls. a chatbot. Yeah, yeah, the chatbot. Right, right. That's right. So if you take not a good look, take the L in ratio, you can combine that into <clears throat> not a good look, man. Take the L already. You're getting ratioed. It's like an algebra <laughs> of put downs. Yeah. Okay. Is that going to be a, a shirt available in your merch store? Something. Well, I, the thing is, uh, what I what I do is I, you know, when you distill all of that, right? I mean, you can put it all together and you can see, because they're all like spread out. Or yeah, all these so what, that, what happens? Yeah. Yeah. You realize that that's almost like people learning words that they're repeating. Some Somebody came up with that and it was like a little verbal knife for close quarters combat that okay. fits in the 140 or 280 character environment of Twitter. And so because that little verbal knife kind of works there, it's like copied and cloned, this digital knife that you can just step, oh, like in take a video game. It's like a karate, like a, it's like a karate move. It's like something. a karate move. It's yeah. exactly, right? So it's like a verbal tuk, 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 like this, right? But then you can often go meta and you can actually block, grab, you know, like, you know, Neo in, in the Matrix, right? You can turn that, that knife into just digital bits by just quoting like 50 of them and then that person it's clear that they're like cliche it'd right? be like, yeah. a, like a movie where like the villain they just had to show a mirror to them yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right? like the, they go to dust <laughs> so in the same way those are like the dumb versions right the smarter versions are check your privilege toxic masculinity all that type of stuff those smarter higher stakes yeah they're higher stakes because they have a bunch of theory behind them and all of that theory delegitimizes the target on the other side. It's like, right. is academia, there's all these papers and stuff behind it. Because, you know, using a phrase like that is bringing in reinforcements, right? Yeah. They're, they're citing effectively scripture to say why you are a sinner and why they should have higher status than you, right? Go ahead. Okay, no, I was just going to say, so all that's, like, yeah, that that's, like, such an accurate description of, like, kind of how the internet culture works or whatever. And then, so you're kind of saying if you're, like, a person... All this is happening, and obviously, yeah, you want to have like some tools to like defend yourself and like argue against and whatever, especially in your personal life, probably. But like, then you see that is 
like a thing that's not going away and it's kind of just generally like eating at the foundation of America and then what actually happens is this kind of like after America thing? Yeah, so let's talk about that. So basically, um, people have, I mean, part of that that whole thing that we're describing, it predated social media, by the way. People blame it all on social media and so on. But that dynamic predated social media. There was cable news, there's other stuff. In many ways, you can trace it all the way back to, there's a gigantic centralization arc up to 1950, and now we're in the middle of a huge decentralization arc that's happening even faster than the centralization. So you go, um, you know, railroads and mass media and mass production and the age of the factory where like, everything is choke pointed through General Motors and General Mills and General Electric, right? That's that's like the mid 20th century. One telephone company, AT&T, and two superpowers, US and US&R, and, and three television stations. Everything's choke pointed in 1950 something. And then it starts all breaking apart as you go from the transistor, cable news, the personal computer, the internet, the smartphone, cryptocurrency, it just starts disintegrating and decentralizing, you know? And what, what's happened though is all of these institutions that were built for this giant centralizing era are not built for this era, so they're just flailing, you know? They're massively overbuilt for what it is that we're in, you know? And um, at least a lot of the Western institutions. So the question is then what does the other side look like, right? And I think many ways you can't, um, you can't turn back the hands of the clock in a normal sense, but you can turn them all the way around. You know, you can just turn it all, ding, you know, and then you start, start something new. And so uh, the book, The Network State, what it's about is fundamentally finding your community online, okay? Um, I'll give the short version, then I'll give the long version. Finding your community online, a highly aligned online community, organizing them to first do online things and then do a very important offline thing, which is crowdfunding territory to live together with, right? That territory doesn't all have to be in one place, importantly. It could be even two people in a group house, Okay, or it's a, sm it's a small group house, you know what I mean? Like two people in, a, in an apartment or 10 people in a group house or 30 people getting like a cul-de-sac of houses next to each other. Those pockets around the world, you start coalescing from a bunch of atomized nodes in the cloud to start being little pockets around on the earth. Go ahead. No, I, the one thing that actually I felt like I didn't get is because so if you, if you like think of how that sort of starts to play out and you have these communities and you're like, what if you bought land? What if you had a thing? Yep. And that I could see how that could be it. But then I guess the other part is like, wouldn't like the countries just say, well, you, you're not a, like part of that country, sure. part of this country, you never pay tax. Like when people try seasteading or like well, things like that. And sure. people can't just move to any country they want if that like location happens to be. Also, so, uh, what are the percentage odds that those just, or how many of them at least just turn into like, cults where there's the one guy at the top having sex with everybody else and uh, I, I <laughs> like a million, if there's like I guess it depends yeah I guess if there's are, how yeah. many of them yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sure that if there was a country like a little island with like so, 50 people and maybe it would be like that too right you're yeah. you're, you're going you're going to see um, what does the government do like how, wouldn't they just say like yeah they, this whole thing's not happening yeah yeah so, so right so several yeah, visas so, canceled gotta go home <laughs> like. totally totally so several so first of all um you know the cult kind of thing is usually uh, some a group that's like isolated from the world. They usually a cult does not want to talk to the rest yeah, of the world, so and so forth. Right? This is more like um, you know actually the early Americas were settled by lots of groups that wanted to be an example to the world. Right? That's a huge difference. You know, to be an example to the world. For example, like the Oneida Commune that was started in like northern New York, or um, there. You know, uh, you know, if you think about Pennsylvania, William Penn's community. You know, the the Puritans. Uh, there were a bunch of, you know, groups that went and settled the Midwest, and they were all essentially either religious or purpose-driven communities, okay? 
and uh, they just recruited people there, and they wanted to build what they saw of as the better life and serve as, as an example to others. Okay. Okay. So that is actually how America was built in the 1800s. There's a good book by Charles Nordhoff called Communistic Societies of the United States. Back in the 1800s, at that time, communistic did not mean communism. Like was the like word commune. Got, it meant a commune. Like a it meant or something. Yeah, it was voluntary and opt-in. That's a key thing, right? As opposed to just take all the money. It was it was collective, but it was a voluntary collective. Very important. So I guess maybe to start, you would have to just still pay the tax in this, but you're part of this other thing too. Right. Exactly. So so essentially, the thing is, there's there's a whole spectrum of levels of sovereignty. Maybe your you tax know? on the one could be tax deductible. Yeah. So let's well, right. So now let's let's talk about this for a second. So basically, um, with suppose. With respect to cryptocurrency first, let's do that first, and then let's come to this. Okay. With cryptocurrency, there are crypto and fiat exchanges, right? You can have Bitcoin, you can sell it for US dollars and vice versa, Ethereum for, you know, uh, yen, all, all these different cryptocurrencies and fiat currencies around the world. And the existence of cryptocurrency does not mean or has not meant that fiat law completely goes away, right? Nor that fiat currency completely goes away. There is an interface between them, which is complicated. And it varies in different countries. There's regulations like KYC, all this stuff. There's countries that have tried to ban it. There's countries that have now started to embrace it. There's states like Wyoming, which are uh, allowed you to now incorporate on chain using Ethereum. There's states like El Salvador that have, that have adopted Bitcoin. So there's a spectrum of responses by legacy states, as well as ways that you can take this new system and start docking it to the old system. And over time, the old system, if it can't ban the new system, which it can't for various reasons that I'll, that I'll get into, or at least it's hard for it to, because this is decentralized and there's people from around the world who believe in it and it's built to be hard to ban. If the old system can't ban the new system, there's parts of it, or at least if, it, if it, all of it can't ban it, China might be able to ban it, other countries can't, then it starts sort of seeing some of the merit, bending to, flexing with, integrating with, or being transformed by the new system. Okay, that we're in the middle of now. We're about 10 years into that, right? We're about 20, 30 years into the internet. All the politicians are on the internet now. Have we noticed? Yeah. Every every government website is on the internet. The internet, the They're news. They're all is, on true social. Yeah. Well, or whatever, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the ones we're, we follow are anyways. fine, fine, no. fine, right? Yeah. So or or Twitter or whatever, right? Yeah. And so the the news system, the internet, which was poo pooed and dismissed, and you know. Twitter is this totally ludicrous thing of tweeting your breakfast, and now every single politician in the entire world knows the importance of Twitter, right? That was 15 years, okay? 15 years for yeah, this. Yeah, I guess that's true. It's yeah. not that long, right? So it's the no. same thing again. Well, right. So now if you talk about not cryptocurrencies and fiat currencies, but crypto countries and fiat countries, what does that exchange? What does that surface look like, right? And the surface looks complicated. Why? Because your crypto country, if it has 100,000 people, I've got, I've got a, a visual on my website. If you go to the network state in one image, um, 100,000 people, they could have piling up all over the world, right? You have this group over here. It's like a town of 1,000. Here's a group house of 50. You have little clusters and, you know, all around the world. Some of them are in South America. Some of them are in the Pacific Islands, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And so let's say you're in 100 legacy countries. These how, do get, how do you get recognized as a country? I'm coming to that. Yes. Okay. So you have 100,000 people. They're spread over, let's say, 100 legacy countries, right? So first of all, you don't just have four directions to expand. You have 400 because you can go north, east, south, and west on all 100 of these clusters, okay? Just like Google's offices. Google has offices all around the world. You walk in. It's a piece of Google. You swipe a card. You can see it, right? It's like so, an embassy. Yeah, it's like an embassy. Starbucks, all around the world. You're in the same place in different places. Right. Right? We take yeah, that for granted. That's true. 
right? So, so I mean, there is probably countries where there's like a thing dividing the. T- I mean, we yes. have Alaska, what's like the difference? Alaska, Korea. Hawaii, right? Yeah, the, Hawaii is two thousand miles away from the United continental U.S., but we think of it as the same place because the people there think of themselves as part of the U.S. and the people in the U.S. think of Hawaii as part of it. Yeah. So really, it's that software install in people's heads that merges them, as well as people outside say, okay, that's U.S. territory versus not, right? So it's really just writing the right bits to people's heads that turn something these borders real. And okay? you are more connected with the people in your online networks in a lot of ways than you are your neighbor. With those neighbors? Exactly, yeah, right? Whatever. Okay. So now, so now, you know, Indonesia, for example, if you've ever seen a map of Indonesia, lots of islands separated by ocean, okay? But they're, they're the same country, okay? What if you have lots of islands separated by internet? Yeah. Now they can be the same country, at least think of themselves as such. Of course, for the first one or five or ten or whatever years, they'll be made fun of. Everybody will laugh at them, right? But who would... And is there like, is it the UN or something that says like, okay, fine, you're a country? I don't think like the how UN How do you apply to be a country? Because yes. once you apply to be a country, I guess Great you question. could leave this. Like I moved to America. Like I could be like, yo, yeah. I'm not a resident of America. I'm a resident. Isn't that the whole place. sovereign citizens thing? Well, so, so sovereign citizens is, yeah, okay, go ahead. They all, they just, they always get tased. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's, <laughs> Every but, video of a sovereign citizen yes. is just them getting tased. That's right. At because, a courthouse. Because a citizen can't be sovereign, right? Yeah. right. You need a collective to be sovereign. Right, you and what army equals you and what country? Yeah, right. right. Exactly. That's a fundamental. So, you know, the thing is, I think to you know to caricature the progressive doesn't get the concept of starting new countries, but the libertarian doesn't get why you need diplomatic recognition. You kind of need both. You need both the individual and the collective, and you need to fuse them in an interesting way, right? Um, this is you know, crypto has also done this. Crypto has made progressives more libertarian and libertarians more progressive. Why progressives more libertarian? Well, you can start new currencies. It actually, this is a big thing. It's like an undeniable movement. Conversely, it makes libertarians more progressive because if you start any kind of crypto thing, you'll immediately realize, well, I need some kind of uh, identity verification. I need some anti-fraud. I need to rebuild something that looks much like a state. Even if it's a V2 and it's an improvement on it, I need to rebuild certain of the aspects of the old world, right? So, uh, you know, in the in the best case, both parties kind of learn something from that. The old guy, you know, the old world learns that the new world is possible. The new world realizes why the old world had certain things their way, right? Sometimes you can only learn it by trying it yourself. Okay. Um, I still think progress happens. I don't think it, you come all the way full circle. I think it's more like a helix where you, you go up a level. It's, it's cyclical on the X and Y plane, but you know the Z axis, you're going up, okay? But coming back to the, the sovereignty thing, first, let me give some precedents, okay? Tuvalu.tv domain did a deal with GoDaddy. If you've ever registered something.tv, that Tuvalu is getting some money, okay? The country? The country. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even, I've never even heard that country, but I remember the .tv thing that was a country. Yes. Yeah. Columbia, probably heard of Columbia, .co domain, they get some money for that, okay? That's a deal that a country did with a company, okay? Um, where it's like dig- it's digital property, it's .co is generating revenue for it. It's, it's TLD, it's, it's got the rights to do that. Uh, Nevada did a deal with um, Elon Musk for the Giga factory, okay? El Salvador has listed Bitcoin as a, or recognized Bitcoin as a sovereign currency. Wyoming has recognized uh, Ethereum-based companies, so-called DAOs, or not companies. Uh, yeah, called yeah I, have one, I have one of the city DAO okay. plots of land. Awesome. All right. So like the, uh, deeds or whatever. That's right. So just like just like countries have put their uh, some of their processes online, now they're starting to put some, uh, you know, sovereigns are starting to put some of their processes on chain right? Both currencies and incorporation stuff. So those are examples. I just gave several examples of quote, diplomatic recognition between a state or a country and a company or a currency, 
right? So it is not unprecedented. This has happened. These kinds of deals have happened. There's more I can rattle off. You know, for yeah. example, Boeing in South Carolina, for example, or Amazon HQ2, right? Not that these are without controversy, but Disney World's almost like it's Disney own World was like this, and they had conflict with DeSantis and you know so on and so forth on this, right? So the thing is that once you realize, okay, these kinds of deals are possible between cloud and land entities, right? Between companies and currencies and communities over here and cities and states and countries over here, right? Given that those deals are possible, that's like the crypto fiat exchange. That concept goes from just cryptocurrency and fiat currency to general interface between cloud entities and land entities. Right. Okay. And that actually now, now how does that, how, brass tax, how, how does that happen here? Okay. So you have this community, as I mentioned, you've got 100,000 people worldwide. They're spread out over 100 legacy countries, fiat countries. Okay. And what happens is you've got effectively dual citizens everywhere, right? They're a citizen of... But um, only a resident... Oh, yeah, I guess yeah, it so, so, so you're a resident of. Right, they're, they're a citizen in... The, well, they're a citizen of, let's say, Fiji or uh, El Salvador or the U.S. or whatever. You, but they're a netizen of this... Netizen! Right, of, of this proto-network state, right? And so the thing <laughs> is... like I'm a net, netizen of, like, the porn of, like, <laughs> country. Well... <laughs> Yeah, so, some you'd be proud of, maybe some not so far. <laughs> I'm a, well, I'm a, I'm a, it'd be American like one of those ones where you go, yeah, don't put a stamp in that passport. Yeah, right yeah, maybe whatever. <laughs> but okay, I'm right? actually a netizen of Forjanistan. <laughs> Something like that. Okay, so so you're a citizen of X and you're a netizen of Y, just like you've got um, fiat currency and cryptocurrency, you have a fiat passport and a crypto passport. Now, at first, these are like parallel systems, right? The crypto passport is not recognized offline, it's just some losers LARPing, you know, whatever, right? If you can build the number of simultaneous LARPers into something that's not just one person or 10 or 100 or 1,000, but 10 or 100,000, yeah. and doing so over a long period of time, well, here's what thinks is interesting. Do you know how many countries in the UN are less than 100,000 people in size? Oh, no, but I would guess okay, probably a, a 17. It's about 12. Oh, pretty good, pretty good, it's pretty good, right? How many are between 100,000 and a million? Like 50? It's about 26, okay. right? So, and then if you say between um, a million and 10 million, it's like another 60, okay? So most countries are small countries. Yeah. Okay, there's only 14 countries in the UN that are over 100 million people. Okay. Most people live in big countries, but most countries are actually small countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, phrased this way, it doesn't seem that hard to build something in the cloud that has the number of people the amount of land the tax base of one of these small places one of these small especially countries. when you're having like, like big crypto billionaires come in or what have you cool. right exactly you have talent though not just wealth that's yeah. very important that talent. was Could i think that was the uh, sorry that was oh, the well. smartest thing that he that like i resonated so much because you're like the same thing that happened in canada it's like everyone just has to leave like you know all, so much of like the talent does go outside the industry right now and that describes like in canada they leave the country in entertainment they leave the industry in like silicon valley they're leaving the like mainstream tech industry like yeah. everything you think of all of the best people you can think of that are doing the best things are like leaving the like main system well mm -hmm. often, yeah oftentimes it's, but i was so like canada i remember i don't know what exactly when but there was they were floating around the notion that they were gonna in, like take Turks and Caicos and it was going to become a part of Canada. Oh, really? I don't remember that. It was like probably 15 years ago. I don't think it was got far enough, but I think every, yeah, get rid of Quebec, but everybody, like, they were like, we'll have a warm place that we can go. Wow. And we're, they'll, and it'll like, just be like, like a union. It'll just be like Hawaii. Yeah. Right? Like exactly right. what they do in Hawaii, except, Canadian like, Hawaii. except not by force. Right. Right, right, right. But so could that theoretically, what you're saying with this nation state where this, this cloud based yes. nation state or network state, sorry, 
would just go and say, hey, we have the resources now. If there's a country that would like to volunteer for this, yes, but you here's could the thing. become this country with the physical, we use your physical. Oh, space. especially if it's like the, imagine it was like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, and you, and like guys like that, and then you go and you're like, yo, Bermuda, we have, or like whatever, like, you know, we have a deal that you can't refuse. We're going to. So, so I would, I would, I think something like that could work, but there's an important, very important asterisk or, or edit on that, which is one of the reasons that Bitcoin and Ethereum have the success they do is they have dual citizens in every country. Okay. You have American Bitcoiners and you have Chinese Bitcoiners and you have, uh, you know, French and you have, you know, Brazilian Ethereumers and so on and so forth. Right. So these are people who are native to that country, who understand that culture, who speak that language, who are friends there and can argue on behalf of Bitcoin and Ethereum as Brazilians or as Americans or what have you in the in the native idiom of their local culture. The fundamental concept is they're dual citizens. OK, this is also the same thing about any network state. It, those hundred thousand people have subgroups all around the world. Right. And so the ideal would be that let's say you have a thousand Fijians. OK, people people who are in small countries are particularly good to join network states. Why? Because if you have a thousand Fijians making the case for why Fiji should recognize this network state, that is. Actually I see what you're saying, because you have like, let's say you have like 100,000 people there and like 60,000 of them are like, yo, we want to have this. Yeah, exactly. And crucially, if the more of them that are members of the country that you're seeking diplomatic recognition from the better it will be because it's not just some rich guys from out of town coming in and okay. plucking down right you no, want it's not like bitcoin imperialism yeah exactly <laughs> that's right so so the thing is bitcoin is everywhere and nowhere and so as such there's people from all walks of life in all different countries who have have identified with it right so okay. so this is key for diplomatic recognition is you need effectively dual citizens, like a citizen slash netizen, who is making the case for why this benefits. Now, the thing about diplomatic recognition, by the way, is we don't usually think about it just like, I mean, 10 years ago, how much thought did you give to currencies? Not much. It wasn't like a dynamic thing, right? Now, everybody, at least everybody in crypto knows that a currency has, you know, three properties. It is medium exchange, uh, you know, store of value, unit of account, okay? And in the same way, if the question of the 2010s was what is a currency, the question of the 2010, uh, 2020s is uh, either what is a country or even better, what is a nation? Like, what is that unit? Because that thing in the cloud, even before it has any land, is a nation. It's a group of people that think of themselves as a people. That's what really, that's one like way of Ideologically. Of yeah, ideologically. Similar. Culturally, exactly. You know, like the entire concept of a nation, by a the way. I mean, on, you, on the internet, you talk about it all the time, like a community. A community. Like, that's right. Most but, people probably that's more important to them than whatever else. Yes. Though the thing is that a community is like, um, it is, if you take a community and you put it on steroids, you get a nation. Okay. Yeah. And, and the reason is a community could be like, I don't know, a Game of Thrones fan club or something like that it's a loose affiliation okay we all kind of like the show something like that right whereas a nation is basically um for example you've heard the term nation state yeah okay song so, by propaganda well yeah yes <laughs> so, so, so it's a song by some punk band. okay okay yeah so <laughs> yeah, I think right it, yeah. so, so so all right so the term nation state actually nation and state are different do you guys know what the difference is no okay so the the nation it's like the same root word as natality um it's it's the people it is uh, like, for example, the Japanese nation, they have shared language and culture, ethnicity. They're, they're like a group, right? And the state's the government? The state's the government. So they're as different as labor and management. 
Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So you can have the state over the Japanese people be like America in 1946 was like occupying, you know, Japan after World War II. So there's an American state above the Japanese nation. Okay. Oh. This is an old. So is nation state when they're both the same? Yeah. So the old concept of the nation state was different ethnic groups should be able to have their own government. Okay. That is what it used to mean, right? And that's what gave rise to what we now call France and we now call Germany, we now call Italy. France was when they're like, gay people should have their own, their own government. Well, <laughs> so, so France actually, you know, the thing is that basically the, um, uh, what we now think of as France, most people in what we now think of as France did not speak French before the French Revolution. Really? They sp- yeah, they spoke other languages, like other like dialects, things that are kind of adjacent to French. And what happened was uh, the unified government of France installed new software effectively into everybody's brains and just uniformized it. This you know, is happening. Here's the curriculum for all here's, schools. and just this, Yes, this exactly. So, so just leveled it out. And there's both good and bad of that. Obviously, these old cultures were kind of like erased. The good was you now had a large unit of people who all spoke the same language, all had the same values because they've all been educated since early. Okay. They all, um, you know, transact in the same currency. And so then France could go and crush all these folks. So that actually led to German unification, led to Italian unification. And so this was like the kind of, you know, get big sort of imperative of the 1700s, 1800s. And you have that as like a company culture in Silicon Valley probably too, right? Right. Because if if these small little groups uh, didn't, Group up into a nation state, they would they'd get crushed or they'd be forced or in fighting. Yeah, or or in fighting, right? Be, but so so this uh, this stopped in a sense civil war because now you had these giant states, but it meant more intra interstate war because these guys could fight each other. Right? And they're bigger. And they're bigger, you know. And one way of seeing that there's this uh, there's a UN country called San Marino. It's this tiny thing of thirty thousand people that's in what we think of as Italy. And you're like, what is this thing? Why does it exist on the map? And the answer is it sheltered Garibaldi during Italian unification. And so they Garibaldi like said, okay, I, I don't have to fold you into all of Italy. You can just kind of be your own thing. So they maintain their sovereignty to the present day. They're like one of the three enclaves in the world. The other is like Vatican City and, and Lesotho. How many people live there? 30,000 people. Oh, crazy. See how small that is? Yeah. Right? Sorry. So that's tiny. That's like, you know, there's a town on Long Island that's probably bigger than that, right? Yeah. And so we get that's a UN country. So my point is that these UN countries are often, many of them are quite small, much smaller than you might think. They have their status for historical reasons. Uh, and so a sufficiently motivated cloud community, will it, it'll get told no the first time, the second time, probably the fifth time, yeah, the tenth time. Yeah, right? told no when you say like they're going to what make some sort of formal pitch to the UN? Well, not to, the, not to the UN as a whole. So assume the UN as a whole is very slow moving. But any individual country has a list of those other entities that it diplomatically recognizes. Now, the reason we don't think about this too much is, just as I said, with currencies, we thought of currencies basically being fixed, and now they've become incredibly dynamic. You know, these constants have become variables over the last 10 years. It's not just currency, it's fiat or cryptocurrency, okay? Things can conceivably go from nothing to becoming a global currency that's happening in our lifetime, as hard as it is. So in the same way, um, diplomatic recognition, we usually think of as a zero or one thing. Either something is recognized by all the 190-something countries, UN countries of the world, or none of them. We think of it as zero one. But there are countries in the middle, like Israel, like Taiwan, right, which have some diplomatic recognition from some places, but not others. Ah, that's a pretty good point, yeah, because you're just like, Taiwan doesn't see themselves as, like, not recognized. Like, yeah. Yes, but China leans on countries. And they go, oh, you're not a country, and be like, we are, though. That's right. So China (laughs) leans on places to not recognize them, right? And so... um, what you might do is basically um, you would you'd actually there's actually this book called uh, uh, 
Invisible Countries, and another one called Imagined Communities, both worth reading, right? Invisible Countries talks about all these, like, quasi-countries that are kind of hanging out. They're less recognized in Israel and Taiwan, but they're more recognized than something out of nowhere. So, like, Abkhazia, Catalonia, the Basques, Kurdistan, all these different groups. Yeah, Catalonia is a big one, right? They're, like, constantly trying to they're con- Right, exactly. And so the Catalonians like, at least some of the Catalonian nationalists like the concept of the network state. Why? Because historically, you've only really had two options. Either A, they could be sort of dominated by Spain, right? Or B, there's some like insurgency, like Irish type thing. And it's, you know, that's super messy in its own way, right? So how do they preserve their language and culture and so on? Well, one possible alternative is C, a network state where Catalonians start crowdfunding territory around the world and they give up on this land and this state, but maybe they have some land and some state of their own, okay? Now, this is actually the motivation for the network state comes from Theodor Herzl's book. Um, Theodor Herzl wrote a book called Der Judenstaat, which translates as The Jewish State. And he actually, that was a book that led to the formation of Israel. And he was basically making a very similar case to the Jewish people. And he said, look, you know, we are a nation, we're a group of people, but we don't have a state right? We're a stateless nation. And how can we get one? And he was actually like, you know, look, we're in modern parlance, he'd be like a tech founder. He was talking about how even in 1897, he's talking about the death of distance. He's like, we have steamships, we can move across large distances. So we should pick from the best spot. Should we do it in Argentina or Palestine? And other places that were considered later were like Madagascar or Berebidzin, you know? So Whoa. they were, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say, should have picked Argentina. Well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so there's, you know, got a lot smoother, (laughs) might've gone smoother, right? Exactly. So, (laughs) but, but, you know, it's hard to know what would happen. Maybe there would have been some local backlash or whatever, you know, uh, but too many Nazis are going to give our, (laughs) who knows, who knows. Right. But that, that was definitely a hinge point in history. Right. Point being, um, you know, this is something where there's a cloud community went and found land. Right. Now I'm not saying I'm not a utopian. I'm not saying that everything always goes well or what have you. I am saying, you know, one of the things about the network state is I try to take inspiration from the best of different kinds of states, right? So Israel was started by a book and it had this kind of reverse diaspora that found land and was flexible on where they went to so long as they could get a state somewhere, okay? Um, India was started nonviolently, okay? You know, it got independence nonviolently. That's definitely something to emulate. Um, Singapore has like a CEO founder and they built like this amazing economic engine yeah. from nothing, right? And America, of course, too many influences name, but of course it's got its constitution and that's, you know, and, and all this tradition of jurisprudence and so on. So when you're start, yeah. yeah, whenever you're starting something from scratch, it's so much easier to just like- Import. Yeah, because yeah. You, yeah. you just like get all this, like whatever you're doing, you get all these clutter, you know? Even if it's like a company of like an employee that you're like, ah, he's been working here, we can't really fire him. Whatever it is, it's so much easier. Yeah, you, can't, you guys can't fire each other. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and what do you do about uh, like a military, like when you need- force? Good question. Because I imagine that's a question that probably is so. So this is something people ask. Now, I'll write about this in the V two, but two, two, three or three th- things about this. First is Bitcoin and Ethereum have guard hundreds of billions of dollars without a military, right? They manage to do that via pure encryption, mainly because a military isn't actually valuable to steal from them. You can point a tank at something, but no amount of violence can solve certain kinds of math problems. That's Assange's line, right? So to decrypt these networks and take the money from all these people around the world, right? When you take a look at that image of the network state, right? It looks like Bitcoin miners or Ethereum, you know, stakers or what have you for a reason, it's decentralized. If you have, take my example of 100,000 people in 100 pockets around the world, how are you going to nuke that? Yeah. Yeah, you can't. You can't. 
And this actually goes you back have to, to just nuke their like s- servers. But or you something. can't. They don't have a server. It's on yeah. just individual computers. All yeah, place, exactly. Right? So, so the thing is, I mean, why was the internet built? Going all the way back to the very, 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 very beginning of the internet, why was it built? Was it a military? Thing? Just in yes. case there's a nuclear bomb, just so they can. It, it was. It was to meant to have a communications network that could resist a nuclear attack. Gotcha. Okay. So that was the original motivation. That, so it's almost like like Vietnam or something where it's like it's hard to win those wars because everyone's just everywhere in little tiny pockets L- there's no central things like right? that like that and you know in some sense you know sometimes um, a technology is so important that it shapes the state itself for example the Great Wall of China is this gigantic thing right that you can see it from space that is like an actual gigantic physical border right and um, you know the the invention of uh, oceanic navigation allowed states to become like, you know, ocean spanning empires. The British Empire was not possible before you had ships that could, you know, go across oceans. That was a pretty hard thing to build, right? So sometimes technology changes the shape of a state itself. And as the internet rises, and unfortunately, you get more and more showdowns between nuclear powers, right? You're having the US versus Russia, the US versus China, you're having the, the risk of not the risk, the, 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 presence of hot war between nuclear powers that was unthinkable when we were growing up right yeah the the issue is if you just flip a coin you keep flipping a coin you know you keep rolling the dice eventually something bad will happen and so uh, or could happen let's put it like that right and so on the other side of that um a network state is nuke resistant for several reasons first is it's just distributed okay and most people don't think about it this way they just think of a nuke as the biggest baddest gun and so therefore someone will submit right but that'll only work if it's like a concentrated group of people in one known place, right? If it's a group of, fo- of folks that are distributed all around the world, if you nuke them, you're nuking a bunch of your allies too, right? Yeah. You're nuking a building in the middle of nowhere. You're killing all these other people around who are your allies, number one. So it's not target enough. Number two is a network state doesn't need to actually have every node on the map being revealed. It can be encrypted. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the secret state. And in fact, uh, you go from secret society to secret states because you can't hit what you can't see. And so now it's something where your private keys. So everyone's like a ninja, basically. Well, right. So you go from <laughs> private property. I mean, basically, put it like this um, if you go to the top of some you know, skyscraper in New York, whatever, and you look over all of those windows, how many of them have you ever been in? Yeah, like very None. few. Yeah. Very few, right? In a sense. Maybe 40, 50. This guy's, bra- like this guy's bragging. <laughs> All right, sure, I sure, guess sure. I didn't sure, get sure, the sure. invite because I've been to none of them. Sure, sure, sure. So, so most folks, only a small fraction, okay? Perhaps present company exclusive. So, <laughs> your passport actually to the US only allows you to really walk the streets of New York. And maybe, you know, you're, you're really only on the ground floor. Most of what you're seeing is inaccessible territory. You need a second private passport, whether it's a hotel room key or an apartment key card to get in or an office card to get into those little spots there, right? So most of that territory is actually off limits. It's invisible to you. You don't even know what's behind that. Uh Uh-huh. Extend that, right? I do, but he doesn't, yeah. You do, okay, right. So so if, if we take the premise that most of what is in cities nowadays is digitally gated private space, Digitally gated because it's a key card. Yeah. Private space because you can't see in it. It already is, yeah. Right? If that's true, if most of what's in cities is digitally gated private space, we can invert that and say digitally gated private space constitutes most of what's in cities. Dude, it's a, it's, it does make so much sense because if you're like, yeah, when you walk by and you see, oh, look at that big thing, that's Google. Like, why wouldn't you be like, oh, look at that big thing? Like, uh, you know, uh, Stytown is like legitimately 
Whereas there's 5,000 units, you just be like, oh, that's part of like, you know, whatever, 8chan world or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and or, or you don't even have a logo. You've, you've intentionally made it opaque yeah, yeah, to the yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You have like a key thing. Yeah. You have a key thing. And it's just opaque to the world because why, why show it off? It's just like a blank facade attracts no attention, right? And many. I guess if people move their girls in, they probably won't make, leave a blank facade for a while. <laughs> well, it, it really depends. <laughs> Try to soup it up a little. Yeah, it depends. It depends. And, and the thing Start is. Start out when it's just the boys, will probably be. Well, so, so like the entire San Francisco culture of being a slob, okay, <laughs> has a benefit, right? Which is, it's like. You know, you can't tell the difference between a really wealthy person and just like an average guy. You know, you're walking down the street and you're just wearing really the same clothes. Yeah. But it's the opposite. It's inconspicuous consumption as opposed to conspicuous consumption. Why? You're almost like visually encrypting. Okay. In the cloud, you might be 50 feet tall. Right. But on the land, why attract attention? Yeah. Especially in an untrusted zone. You know, if there's folks who might want to mug you or whatever. Right. They don't even know you have anything. So it's like you know, like you're invisible to predators or, or things like that, right? And I actually think that the world that we're in today is actually an atypical world in the sense of how visible it is, okay? Signal and, and WhatsApp are just a harbinger of us moving back into encrypted, illegible environments. All the kids nowadays, you know, what do they do? They have a, a Finsta and a Rinsta. Have you heard that term? Finsta, yeah, like the fake Instagram. Fa exactly, so on their yeah. fake Instagram, uh, they use a fake name and they're the real self. On the real Instagram, they use their real name and they're their fake self. So the real Instagram, they're in their... <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's like it. the one where if, uh, you know, you're getting a job and your employer yeah. goes, what's your Instagram? You go, here you go. Here you go, exactly. And it's in Sunday Best, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. And on, you know, Finsta is, you know, all the stuff that is... Uh, but, but crucially, one of the things they do is they use a search-resistant identity on Finsta, right? Why? Because... What does that mean? Like, like no name. Something that can't be Googled. Yeah. It can't be linked to them via Googling. Only their friends know about it. It's a 12 follower account just for their friends. Yeah, it's like a private account, no no name. Like, okay. That's right. And or, or if the name, it's like a made up name. It's a Satoshi Nakamoto style name, right? Yeah, Do you know yeah. who he is? Uh, I, have, I, have, I have a guess. You have a guess? Yeah. Um, but nice. That'd be cool. He's probably, he's probably not alive. Um, but really? Yeah. Uh, it, it, in the community, people think he's Hal Finney. Um, Who's Hal Finney? If you don't know who Hal Finney is, I don't. Yeah. Okay. So he's an amazing cryptographer who unfortunately passed away and so on. The thing is, I can say that, and nobody like nobody will believe me. It's actually great, you know. And one thing that's interesting is, um, Satoshi's pseudonymity was it actually itself a form of decentralization? You know why? And that's the guy who started uh, Ethereum, right? No, 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 no. Bitcoin. That, that's Vitalik. That's Vitalik. Oh, Vitalik. So, yeah, so yeah. Vitalik on a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, 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 you guys are having a good laugh there. <laughs> no, no, no. no <laughs> you, <laughs> you two comments are you just lighting up right now. You guys a nice little chuckle there. Is this you? live? It's not live. It's <laughs> no, not, no, no, okay, no, 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 no. All right. But we're keeping that in. Okay, okay. So, so, <laughs> so, so like, <laughs> this guy doesn't even know all the picking every Bitcoin. No, no, no. Whatever. It's fine. It's just, it's funny. Um, the, um, so, so, you know, the, the whole concept of Bitcoin, right, is like the mining and the stuff is everywhere. So it's everywhere and nowhere. You can't shut it down very easily. A non or less obvious point is that Satoshi Nakamoto choosing to be pseudonymous rather than using his, quote, real name. A better term than real name, by the way, is like state name, right, or official name. It's like government it's name, government yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Right. Because the non obvious part is 
uh, pseudonymities itself form decentralization because your government name is like a global identifier. Okay, given Ryan Long, okay, someone can punch that into a database like Google or anything else and pull up all of these records on you. Now, your name is not unique. There's going to be others who have that name, right? It was a bit of an issue with this Jeopardy champion. That Jeopardy champion screwing up my SEO. Is that right? Okay, fine, <laughs> fine. But, but the thing is that never before in human history has it been possible to pull up every snippet of inf Anybody can stalk anybody with given their real name, right? Yeah. And uh, so that is something where... Uh, you know, another term for a name is a handle, if you ever heard that term. So think of it as like literally a handle on a file, you know, a file cabinet. People can just pull out the file, right. On it, right? And so the alternative to that, to having this name that's at the center of a thousand databases, that's the primary key to look up all this information, is to start totally afresh, right? Have a node over here, Satoshi Nakamoto, that has nothing attached to it. Yeah. Okay. And now any attachments to it are those that you have consciously sought out. You know, Satoshi Nakamoto set up Bitcoin Talk, and he set up a, uh, you know, like his code base and so on and so forth. Now, of course, the, the what butted off of that and butted off of that became this gigantic network, and all this energy, this you know, is, is swirling around this. But the man walks unscathed. Yeah, because okay. there was no nothing linked it to him. Right? There's nothing linked. These are two totally, you know, the the pseudonym network. So yeah, and Avatar. I remember so seeing something yeah. Vitalik saying when he they gave him all the what was the Shiba Inu or something when mm -hmm. they tried to promote the thing, and then so he had to he donated it all because yes. he didn't want it. But he's like, I heard him talking about it. And he's like, I had to to go access it. He's like, I had to call my parents up. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he's like, they had half of my key, and I had to go buy a laptop that had never been online before. And then he's like, I go online for the one second, like do this stuff. He's like, throw out the laptop. Laptop, like all just to Whoa. maintain that like I guess air gap right? yes. where you're like there's no connection ever right yeah so that's like if you want to be I do think about this sometimes because if Vitalik takes that kind of precaution and I also take you know significant precautions we do need to work on crypto usability you know yeah like <laughs> well, I, I, I did uh, I co-hosted the show once in Toronto and one of the Ethereum guys, I think Anthony D'Onofrio. Diorio. Di okay. Diorio, yeah, right. right. May, I might he, be pronouncing No, no, right. I think yeah. you're right. You're right. Okay. He, he was on the show and he was like, he, he was talking and he had like four bodyguards with him. Yeah. And he's just like, yeah, this is my life. Because. Yeah. Or you could just like basically be in high security locations. Yeah. Know, and just not disclose your Like location. anyone that has mm -hmm. a lot of money, I guess, to some degree. Hey, yeah, guys. Or, or Asia. Asia is really reasonably high security. On the topic yeah, of yeah. like what you just said, which was one thing we were talking about before you came in here, like the, when you're talking about like some of it does feel a little too, you know, like uh, out, I don't know if out of reach for normal. It's just sure, like, here's, yeah. a, here's an example. Like I know a lot of people, there's a lot of money in crypto and they're like, hey, we want to have like, all of these, uh, you know, make movies in that space. And we want, like, and I've been approached a lot of times, right? Mm. But, it, and there's all these people that are, have all these versions of things that exist, like in entertainment, right? But, like, none of them actually, in reality, anyone kind of uses them to any, like, real oh, extent. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, they're all right. theoretical. Well, yeah. And, like, really, it's all these people, they're like, we have money and we want to do things. And I think from my perspective, it's like, it's not that I'm, I'm just not af like I'm not after like a cash grab that yeah, no one's yeah, gonna yeah. see. So right. it's like right. there's no pro like what will be the first one where you're like yo everyone's actually like watching this thing in there. Do you think? And then yeah, that's like the first part. Of sure. It. So well, first is I don't, do you remember the dot com bubble? Yes. Yes. Okay. So in the late '90s, early 2000s, basically, uh, I mean, there's a huge surge of energy going into internet companies. Um, many of them crashed and, and ended up with nothing. Uh, the things that really did keep growing, though, um, the main thing was just internet connectivity, 
people were just getting online, right? That itself was like a thing, you know? And then over time, a few years after the dot-com bubble, really 2004, right, was when Google's IPO was. And then people were like, wait a second, you can make money on the internet? For four years, no one had believed you could make money on the internet because of the dot-com crash and everyone's focused on 9-11 and Iraq and all this stuff. And um, Google showed you could make money on the internet. And then, but Google was like the only one that was doing so for a long time. Is that even how like MySpace like never really figured out how to make money? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, so, well, it, so Facebook and Twitter got started in the mid 2000s and they were looked at as total frou-frou stupid things where, uh, you know, they're also never going to make money. People use them, but for, you know, they're not going to make money. And it was really only 2008, 2009 after the iPhone and the financial crisis and so on that the modern internet really took off. That is when Google and Facebook really went vertical in terms of ads. Why do you think that is? Several reasons. One is that iPhone. Well, the iPhone was huge, yeah, right? That was huge. But that, was there like something about like all of like crashing out all the bad stuff to start again or something? Yeah, it's something where like there's just a lot of stuff that got built over the 2000s. Like open source became better. A lot of stuff that's invisible to the public, right? Okay. Like a lot of backend infrastructure where something that might have taken a thousand lines of code to do was one line. Right, a lot of that type of stuff is invisible. It's backend stuff, you know. So open source stacks got good. Um, social and search had proved themselves out. Uh, AWS had finally worked. A lot of companies tried to do what has become Amazon Web Services, like data center in the cloud, before Amazon executed on it. Um, you know, Apple obviously did the iPhone, and uh, mainstream media basically. Everybody who had been running ads in 2008 in mainstream media suddenly had a cash crunch and needed to look for more efficient channels. So necessity brought them to the internet. And, and even in yeah, that's a, like a big part of it now, right? That's right. Yeah. So even, even in 2008, 2009, like, you know, Joel Stein, other folks have written like in that era, lists of like the power centers of the US. Silicon Valley was not on those lists. And how many you know, people were on the like the list? It was like ten. It was, it was like it was like uh, you know the Pentagon, Hollywood, New York, Madison Avenue. It was like you know kind of what the older institutions of the U.S. were. They always so, miss it. Well, so here's the thing: this whole internet tech thing is basically like about ten years old. It's yeah. very, very, it's, crazy. <laughs> it's very young, right? If yeah. you think, right. And it's, you know, Uber, Airbnb. And it's already like moving on to the next thing. Apparently, it's moving on to the next thing. So, <laughs> so Uber, Airbnb, Stripe—they're all basically like 08, 09, you know, twenty ten founded, right? This whole it internet era is very, very recent. People's memories have sort of been rewritten. But if you go back and look, it was not like that before the iPhone. The internet—I mean, it was just thought of as gadgets. I, mean, I guess I do. Like yeah, gadgets. Well, it's like the BlackBerry, which even now, like at the time, was the most amazing device because that's you know the gold standard and then the iPhone came out and all of a sudden you're like this thing is a piece of shit yeah. I, t- I, t- I, I stuck it out for a while I know Ryan was, <laughs> like, Ryan was like I remember that you're like I right. love the keyboard that's right so, so now the last minute keyboard warrior Tim Allen <laughs> so now let's take that let's take that and apply it to crypto right so you know the internet represented a fundamental improvement on just how we deal with information right things we totally take for granted you can copy paste Okay, I mean, that's computers, but just you, know, you can copy paste, you can send instantly to people, you know, via an email, um, you can search index, uh, you can, you know, everything you can think of that you can do with information, you can do with a few keystrokes. Just to put that in perspective, again, within human human memory, uh, Xerox was invented like in the 1900s. I mean, but I mean, not, not 1900s, but like, I think it's like 1950s or 60s. I don't remember exactly when the photocopier was like invented within living memory. Okay. Yeah. Um, you couldn't just change the font on a document with one tap. You had to go and like reprint out the whole thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you couldn't change fonts. You couldn't copy paste. You couldn't search. You couldn't um, like 
you know, changed color tones, like all of these things. Stuff that's just nothing now. Stuff that's just nothing now was a massive effort back then. Okay. And, and like, we, we don't really think about that too much because we're sort of, you know, you, you, something is awesome. And then within a few months, it's taken for granted as part of your workflow if it works. Right. So, but, but the, the improvements you're talking about orders and orders of magnitude on like the speed of transmitting information. I mean, like nine orders of magnitude in some, some cases, just to give you one example. Okay. As you upload go, speeds. go ahead, upload, speeds. upload speeds. Yeah, sure. So exactly. Right. So, but give you one example. Let's say if you go from sending a physical mail to sending an email to sending a group email to a Facebook thread. Okay. Each of those is incremental, but the com combination is ridiculous. Okay. So saying a physical mail to sending an email, um, well, you send it express, you know, FedEx or something, the highest price thing, and it arrives in maybe like 24 hours, okay? But it, you send an email, it arrives in seconds or minutes. The thing is, at that time, you had to spend a huge amount of money up front, and the other guy had to spend money. So it's like, okay, well, yeah, it's faster, but I have to spend $5,000 for a computer system, an internet system, and this guy does too. Uh, am I really going to send that many emails to this person as, as a one-off? Seems kind of stupid. You know, so corporations did it for intranets first. Then corporations were sending between, you know, or not just corporations, academia was doing it, and then corporations were doing it. And out of that, eventually, it started to come to the home user in the 90s. So. The, there's physical mail to email. Then you go email to group email. Now you can send a reply all thread. Okay. Now you go from reply all to a Facebook thread where people can reply and post messages, thumbs up, whatever. Bug you all day. Yeah. Okay. Right. So now you take this, and I haven't posted on Facebook in a long time, or Twitter, or whatever. Take a Facebook thread. You compare how expensive that would be to do with physical mail. Okay. Let's say you've got 300 people on in your Facebook thread. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Imagine taking 300 picture postcards. Licking, st sending stamps to 300 people. Two of them come back, one set, and each one of them, when they want to make a comment, okay, they come back to you with lol, <laughs> unfollowed, unfollowed, <laughs> or something like that, right? They mail it back, and then you have to rebroadcast that out to the other 300 people, and get and and just keep doing this, all right? Like, what is get the, the polaroid? I mean, to think about that. something like even this right now, like the people are watching this on YouTube, and then there's that comment section below yeah on top of essentially like a network tv they have station. to come to your house yeah. and yell at you <laughs> that's right that's right so so and like just within living memory i mean you know the unabomber right yeah, yeah. the unabomber do you know why Big he fan, yeah. okay <laughs> you know why he killed all those people uh yeah that uh it was something with uh, i watched it it, it was the government he he killed all those people to get an op-ed in the washington post and the new york times I did not so know he, that. I'm he, thinking of, the, of this, a different bomber. Yeah, okay, different bomber. So, so the Unabomber killed for the distribution. But didn't the Unabomber have the big manifesto? That, oh, yeah, it, that's the same guy. Oh, so, okay. That, that manifesto. Because he wanted to post this big manifesto. Okay. Yeah, so in the early 90s, distribution of your concepts, your words, etc., was so scarce that he had to kill multiple people, so he thought, to get the distribution. Yeah. Okay? Now... You could just have a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, we, crazy we know, a lot, podcast, we right? know a lot of people yeah. with a manifesto probably that are posting it online yeah. every day and they're, they're still thinking like, so, do I have to kill a guy? <laughs> well, well, right. So, so the thing is, of course, too easy. of course, it's both bad and good, right? Essentially, there's a lot of people who won't kill somebody, but they certainly will troll somebody. And that's a lot of people on Twitter. There might be a thousand X as many people who will do something insane and stupid and mean and angry 
for distribution on Twitter versus those who would actually go and kill somebody. So that's obviously the bad part. The good part is that distribution has opened up in a dramatic way and now everybody can have a podcast, a TV show, et cetera, et cetera, right? What's my point? Putting it together. Yeah, how does it look like on yeah. in the future on the decentralized right. so, world? So once we have seen just like the degree of the exponential on the internet and computers within our lifetime, you know, it's like, as I said, this thing is 10 years old. And even during the 2000s, the internet was basically mostly dismissed. Like people were on the internet, but it was not the center of all government and so on and so forth. Like you know, politicians who they, they thought of the internet as kind of this swampy thing that's sort of below them, and you know they were the on dark monster. web. No, it wasn't even the dark web. But that's how they viewed it almost. Like no, like, it, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't yet coded as malign uh, because even in two thousand eight and twenty twelve, Facebook is like clunky and like well, it's like a hobbyist. Facebook, yeah, Facebook helped Obama get elected. If you remember in 2008, 2012. and Facebook was really good, considered good by the press in two thousand eight and twenty twelve because it did so. Right. So the internet was either harmless or cute. Whatever. It wasn't like the real affairs of state. And then it which got is, the wrong guy elected. And yeah, well, okay, right. <laughs> so now, but, but actually even before then, even in 20, um, uh, 2013 is when the attitude shifted. Because by 2013, you can no longer deny that the internet was, it was crushing old media revenues. It dropped from like 67 billion to like 17 billion in like, you know, five years. There's this graph by Mark Perry, like uh, print media disruption. So Google and Facebook took all this revenue, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, um, just all went vertical, right? And, uh, you know, that caused... Yeah, they weren't happy about it. <laughs> ...them to be unhappy. And so these guys who, you know, in, in the mainstream press, I call them now, you know, I don't call them the mainstream media. You know what I call them? Downstream media. <laughs> you know why? Because they're downstream of the internet. They're downstream of you guys, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And they're literally just reposting tweets and, you know, so Lists on. And and, you know, it's like not your grandmother's <laughs> media. It's like literally your grandmother's yeah, media. Yeah, my dad doesn't even get to the paper anymore. Yeah, exactly. So, so the downstream media... Basically, at that time, they couldn't downstream media. Love it. It's good, right? So they they couldn't um, <laughs> they they couldn't build search engines or social networks, but they could write stories and shape narratives. And so, and you know the difference between a, a story and a product release. Uh, like ones ones uh, by the person that did it. Well, this is kind of a one liner. The story has a bad guy. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so who's the bad guy? It was tech guys. How about that? The guys who just bankrupted and disrupted all yeah. these media companies. Suddenly, they were cast as the villain. And so from 2013 to 2019, 2020, all of these journos were just looking for... <laughs> journos is funny because it sounds like pedos. Like, it just sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the journos, right, basically were going after all these people in tech, whether they were the an engineer who just made some off-color comment Whatever on Twitter. Whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I mentioned this today. It's like more accountability for somebody's old tweets than all the wars in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so just like <laughs> hunting these guys, right, for clicks. And... Uh, that carried on for basically about seven years. And what it led to, among other things, was the wokeifying of Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon. That's actually MAGA versus MAGA. That's the other MAGA. Oh, you the know? MAGA. <laughs> right? Yeah. And Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, right? <laughs> is that good, right? So MAGA versus MAGA is what we're, we're shaping up, uh, right? So Yeah, um, with like no accountability, too, because it, like, it really is that's the one of the things is once things get big enough, the people can be wrong as many times as they want and like doesn't matter where it's you know in any sort of newer thing it's you're actually like graded on your uh accomplishments or whatever but i guess i, I thought they're solving for the wrong they're like solving for one thing without caring about all the other things i, I, I thought about this a lot actually and i was like how is it that these journalists could be so wrong about everything they're wrong about 
Bitcoin, the wrong about Iraq. I mean, there's this book, actually, everybody who's watched this podcast should read this by Ashley Rinsberg. It's called The Great Lady Winked. And it just goes through the New York Times history. And you're like, wow, they, you know, now they're all staying with Ukraine. You know what they were doing in 1932, 1933? Choke out Ukraine. Really? Yeah. I think it almost might be secondary, though, because it's like, well, tell me if you agree with this, but it's almost like we're saying that the journalists are wrong about everything, but it's almost like, the politicians and like those people are kind of wrong about everything and they're like their press secretary. It's both and. It's both and. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or maybe they work together. Yeah, so it's, it's like it is something where at different times in U.S. history you can argue that one was prime and the other wasn't, right? Nowadays, I think, you know, the, the term the U.S. establishment is better, I think, than the term the U.S. government because first, people can't deny that a U.S. establishment exists. You might deny that a deep state exists. You cannot deny an establishment exists. An establishment does exist. Second, the term establishment is inclusive of but not coterminous with government, right? The government is part of the establishment, but there are establishment grandes who are not actually government employees. Ooh, Go grandes, that's great. Yeah, right? And so these- You're an establishment grande. Establishment grande, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so you have, you know, the dean of Harvard is definitely like, you know, part of the establishment. The Salisbury, Arthur Salisbury, the publisher of the New York Times, absolutely part of the establishment, albeit not the US government, right? Yeah. So these are, one way of thinking about it is, the control circuitry for the formal government lies outside of the formal government and is itself resistant to the democracy it claims to support. For example, Salzburger has like dual class stock, so he can't be actually, you know, there's no, hostile takers are very difficult, right? Or you have a tax exempt foundation like, like Harvard, right? Or you have uh, something where it's a regulator and they've got career tenure, or you've got a professor and they've got tenure, right? Yeah. So these guys can't be, you know, they're not electable to the electorate or the market They've got these, you know, protected positions in different ways, whether it's tenure or it's tax exemption or it is dual class or something like that. They're actually successful if you just understand what they're optimizing for. They are, exactly. And they're optimizing for power, not for being correct. And if you own the New York Times, right? Like you have the power to kind of just dispatch the people who don't agree with you. Well, so, so just on this topic, right? Like, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, you may agree or disagree. I don't agree with every decision he's made, but I do admire him because he is the son of a dentist, right? Who There's a lot of people who went to Harvard. He's way more successful than basically a lot of folks combined. And he built the whole thing, you know? So Zuckerberg built his fortune, okay? And people all recognize his face, okay? If I say Arthur Arthur G. Salzberger, do you recognize his face? No. no. How interesting is it? Yeah, or his name. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So Salzberger inherited the New York Times company. And it is a company. It is a publicly traded company. It has dual class stock. And when you look at how the New York Times, if you go if you go and Google, for example, how Punch protected the Times, you'll see Joe Nacera in like 2012 talk about how great it is that the New York Times has dual class stock. If you then Google how uh, you can't fire Mark Zuckerberg's kids' kids, you'll see a different New York Times writer talk about how horrible it is that Mark Zuckerberg has dual class stock. Right. Yeah. So dual class stock is good when they have it and bad when they don't have it. This is when I remember the thing I was saying where it's like basically whatever is good is that that supports the social network and whatever is bad is that which is against it, right? So dual class itself is it is essentially what it is is a it's an old tactic. It's a universalist argument for particular ends. This is the same that the Russians did during, you know, the the Soviet Union. The universalist argument was communism. The particular end was the expansion of the Russian Empire. Yes. Right? And so this, you can generalize it as talk left, act right. Okay. Let's say you're evil Elon Musk. Okay. Evil Elon <laughs> Musk. All right. What would he want to do? He would want Tweet. to. Ex- well, okay. Sure. <laughs> but evil Elon Musk would want to export strikes to uh, General Motors and Ford. Okay. And so, right. All of them would be riven by internal dissension at each other's throats. You know, they're not shipping anything, you know, like blah, blah, all this labor unrest. Right. 
while his company practices a Nietzschean variety of aligned capitalism, okay? And if you look at someone like Salzberger, right? You know, his newspaper talks endlessly about like white privilege, white privilege. This is like the ultimate privilege white. You know, he's got this giant mansion, um, which somehow is not in the paper. His face isn't in the paper, okay? And, you know, th this thing about, oh, people are bad for going to, you know, taking their kids out of public school. These guys all go to private school, right? Yeah, yeah they don't even know what a public school is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so th the thing is that it is, um, it's something where you really need to like play the man, not the ball. You know, yes. and because what they're saying, it, they'll talk left, they'll export left, but they will practice the most like ruthless capitalist kind of thing, like out of a out of a caricature that you'd ever find, right? And uh, you know, this is something where now now people in tech, in particular, are, are seeing this because people in tech are basically self-made, right? Zuckerberg built his fortune, Salzberger inherited his. The thing about like these old media grandes, right? These these, they're basically, I call them the meritless nepotists, right? Because they have no merit. They literally inherited their fortunes, their newspapers, et cetera. They, it's not that they get great coverage. They get no coverage. Yeah, Plus they're yeah. in charge of the coverage. They're in charge of the coverage. And I'm sure if some other like uh, paper magnate want to start some war, it benefits nobody. So yes. then they both keep each other's names out of their But mouth. Zuck, for all his... <laughs> yeah, keep, yeah, yeah. Just keep each other's names Zuck, for all his faults, and all the tech people, for all their faults, have given everybody a voice. Right, that is what the establishment hates so much. Right, it is not that oh, this is a threat to democracy. What they hate is what we would call democracy—the voice that people have now. All these people around the world have a voice. They hate that. They're not against filter bubbles. They're against the plural filter bubble. They want only one filter bubble, which is like old media or whatever. Right, the halcyon age of I guess 2007. You know, if the MAGA guys want to wind back the clock to 1950, these guys want to wind back the clock to like 2007 or something like that, when they were still dominant and tech was just making gadgets. Right, um, but there's there's so many more shoes to drop. You know, have you seen the AI content creation? The like the Dolly. Dolly, we were right? just talking because I saw your tweets uh, yesterday. Yes, and go ahead. Well, we were just because uh, well, yeah, I have Dolly and it's really cool. The whole thing is is amazing, yeah. to me, and I can't imagine like how much better it's going to be in a year from now. But we were kind of talking about like where, what other stuff is this going to? Yeah, like, yes. How does like uh, that look like kind of moving forward? Do we have any sort of career as com comedians and podcasters? Oh, in, absolutely. Like, 10 years? I think they become tools more than competitors. Yeah, it's like I mean, think about it. you have Photoshop and you have copy paste, and so I mean, Photoshop actually does some really amazing. I've had ideas for what would be an AI thing forever that I didn't have the idea to do it, but I always thought it, a music video app where, and I'll say this in five seconds, but like, yeah. imagine like if you're a kid, you take the music video, it takes forever to people learn how to edit and edit and like all this stuff, but they're all formats, so basically. Basically, you film yourself singing the song four times, then you film B-roll of yourself like doing a move, and then it just makes you a music video. Yes, yeah. Like, do I like those like the, that kind of stuff? Could be like, what if I just did this and then my thing edits it for me? Or you, you totally I mean, you, or you could just do like in the style of Spike Jones or something. T take or a look at Runway ML. Okay, so that's doing kind of what you're saying. You type, and it's like I thought about this concept a long time ago. I actually have a spec for it called the screenplay compiler, where you write a screenplay, you hit enter, and it's like lights, camera, action, and so on. And I had thought of it as instructions for something like Unity, which is like a 3D, you know, engine or whatever, right? The new VR stuff, uh, the new rather AI stuff is way better than that. Just makes it. It just makes it right because it turns it into like a natural language description of of the thing. Okay. And uh, what that does is it doesn't... Terrible news from Jim from The Office. Well, <laughs> well, so here's what it does. It decentralizes Hollywood, right? De like, if old media... if and it's already been happening. That's right. If the downstream media was sucking wind before, this is just going to finish it, right? But now what's going to happen is 
uh, a kid from Nigeria, a kid from Brazil, a kid from India, people from anywhere in the world can now tell their own stories in their own language, in their own voices, without going through, like, you know, basically American media corporations, right? So this is this powerful decentralizing thing where, um, and that's what they actually hate. You know, and so they'll always talk about how, oh, AI ethics requires us to centralize it and have some, like, token diversity. For example, um, there's one AI company, which is actually a really got a lot of smart people there and they respect what they've done in other ways, but they make it so when you type something in and it's like a, you're asking for a fireman, they'll just add like black, Hispanic, Asian as, as words to the end of it that you can't see or edit out. And it just generates like images for you because now you're diverse. You're just like forced diversity, right? That's, that's so funny that but, they coded it in. Yeah, they coded it in, but it's like, it's like the most cartoonish, you know, like caricatured version of it because let's say you're in Japan you you might want uh, Japanese people and Ainu right yeah or, or you know th there's different people in different cultures have a different notion of what's inclusive no, of course but like imagine you're like hey I want like a race car driver and then gives you a girl you're like you know what I meant well like <laughs> stop it yeah uh, Danica Patrick Ryan yeah so, so basically essentially what it is is it's something where true non-discrimination requires decentralization right this way, basically, everybody can have something that reflects their own culture without it being, like, centralized, you know? Yeah. And I think that is really the sort of winning argument on this because otherwise what you've got is these people who will argue that for the benefit of the world, we need to centralize all the power, right? To defend equality. Which is, like, almost which natural. Is, well, well, those are the that. people with the power. Well, exactly. Right? Nobody is without the power. That's right. But and always it's like, also, I, sh I should be the one that has it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. AI ethics, that's exactly right. AI ethics, as it's currently construed, of course, even the term is basically a stolen base. Who are you? Against ethics? Are you unethical? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, instead I call it, or you also call it AI bias, not as the study of how AI is biased, but the study of how to bias AI. Okay. And so AI bias is basically something which argues that in order to maintain equality, everything must be centralized at Google or a few of these companies. But of course, that degree of centralization of power is itself unequal. Not everybody has that power, right? Yeah, to influence the AI. That's right. So power inequality, exactly, that's right. So power inequality is maximal when it's centralized, right? So the decentralized argument is, like there's things like so-called stable diffusion, which actually is open source. Anybody can run it, right? That is, I think, the winning argument on this. And as opposed to, I can find it humorous. No, I think you're right? so right. Because like, yeah. even if you look at just from a moral argument, right. it would be like what you're saying. They're saying it's like, well, we needed to have all these things. But it's like, okay, well, why wouldn't it be that? Like you said, like anyone living in India. And they're like, well, it has to be diverse people in America. You're like, you're already, even by that definition, like broadened it out one more like level and you're wrong now. That's right. And so here's the thing. Like, I actually do respect people who are like, talk left, act left. I think they're actually consistent. I may not agree with them all the time, just like I don't necessarily agree with people who are talk right, act right, but at least I think they're they're consistent. And so in this context, like V1 would be like an American guy who's like, why can't we have Rocky and Rambo and so on and so forth. V2 has a superposition of two kinds of people. There's a genuine person who's like, why can't we tell more inclusive stories? And then there's, in my view, a non-genuine person who's saying, why can't we tell more inclusive stories in order to centralize the power and the money at that company, okay? Now, how can we give the genuine person here and the conservative what they want? And there's a third one of the person that's like doing it, but for someone else and they don't realize it. Sure, sure, like a pawn or something, right? Yeah. So the thing is, for the talk right, act right, and talk left, act left person, I'm sympathetic to both of them. And I think the V3 is 
decentralize it. You can be both. Yeah. Exactly. So the conservative can get their Rockies and Rambos and so on and so forth. But we can also tell the stories, allow people around the world to tell the stories because I don't think conservative actually doesn't want that to happen. They just also want their mm -hmm. own stories, right? Yeah, and then the other people could get the girl Rambo or whatever. Yeah, exactly. You know, right? Because, you know, if you're a... Uh, if you're growing up in the U.S. and, you, you know, you, you didn't see yourself represented and so on, I actually am sympathetic to that, though I don't think that means you have to, like, shit on white guys for that, right? We can solve this problem by giving everybody their own compiler and letting them tell their own stories, right? Yeah, because it doesn't But then really they would say, well, not everybody anyway. can tell their own stories. And then I'd say and that's patronizing. Well, well, well that, they yeah. start playing that whole game. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's why I always, like, say that I'm, like, such a fan of the way you talk, because it's like, he's, like... They're like, well, not everyone can tell your stories. He's like, well, here's how. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not, it's like, yeah, you're right. And that's what I'm like changing. And they're like, but I like being a victim. And they're like, yeah, well, you're right. Because they are just like, all right, well, we actually like being able to say this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, right. So, exactly. So, so, so I think, uh, you know, insofar as, uh, I think a lot of things are like this, by the way, where there's sort of like a V1 that kind of assumes an American default. Then there's this kind of intermediate stage of whether you call it woke capitalism that is faux inclusive. Right. And then there's true inclusivity, which is decentralization, which actually gives the genuine people here and the genuine people hear something while taking power away from the centralists. Kind right. of like sports, really. It's like, who's go ahead. the best, you know? Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me about that. I, I, like, uh, what, no, and I was yeah. just like, I was saying that, like, that's the most decentralized industry in terms of like, you know, or at least who's equal. Well, it's interesting you say that. Cause like, I, if you go running, like to some degree, ah. it's like, I, I, I think it's gonna be hard to find another one that's like probably closer in terms of like Go the golf, talent i think is. golf is a good one we're like you know whoever in golf whoever is the best that day like was the best no There's because no, then no people don't well, play golf you know well, i guess it's, that's true, it's, yeah. it's funny you say it. so i yeah, i mean it's better, tip yeah. like historically golf was considered a very hoity-toity thing because you need a course and that's expensive and so on yachting and golf <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> yachting golf very inclusive no <laughs> running running is definitely very inclusive but the thing is interesting is use the term sports for that and that's why i was like kind of you know because I would call that athletics or something. I think the whole era of spectator sports of like fat people watching fit people is ending in some ways or it's declining. <laughs> fat people watching fit people. <laughs> right, it's funny. That's so funny. Yeah. And so <laughs> it said it. what you want is like the participatory stuff, right? Like where people go running together, they go lifting together. And, you know, now it's uh, it's something where, I mean, whether it's like a run keeper or, you know, apps like this, I, I sort of want to see things where, I don't know, like a fantasy football league, but it's a, uh, a fantasy fitness league where folks are like competing to kind of, I don't know, reduce body fat or things like that. And so they're actually getting some benefit from it rather than just drinking beer and cheering somebody on the couch. I'm not completely against that. I mean, that can be fun or whatever at times, right? But it's also something where it's not actually benefiting the person who's doing it, whereas this is actually compounding their fitness. That's you know? true. I guess a lot of people, like I have a lot of friends that like, that's just their event that they get together and do. And if it wasn't that, it'd be whatever else it was. I, I, I'm not against that. I'm not, I'm not yeah. like, I'm not anti that. I, I am, how, I, I do however think that going from that sort of era of like circuses to one where it's like individualized fitness and it's actually gaining you some benefit while doing it um, is, is better, right? I so, guess always, yeah. yeah. But um, and if you've yeah. got spare time, you'd rather spend an hour on this versus that. This compounds for the individual versus this is just entertainment. Past time, you know, it's yeah. entertainment budget. I know you're yeah. kind of running late for dinner. So it's, it's fine. We can go. Well, I, one thing I want to talk about is your woke versus racist video because I think it's way deeper than you might think. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. Like, well, tell me what you think. Yeah. All right. Great. Great. I'm sure that everyone like watching this knows it. Yeah. Sure. So so. Uh, you know, this video, if you guys want to watch, I mean, I was extremely well done. Actually, both of you are in it. Okay. It's pitch perfect. I laughed. I cried. No, <laughs> but, uh, the reason I thought it was actually perhaps even more deep than you might think is, have you seen the political compass? Yeah. 
Right. You know, so it's got like authoritarian left, authoritarian right, libertarian left, libertarian right. Okay. Now to first order, what you can do is you can say that's like uh, communist, fascist, woke, um, anarcho-capitalist, right? In terms of the extremes of each of those four quadrants. Okay. Yes. And one way of thinking about the, the last 150 years or so is almost like a Z. Okay. Communism happened first. In part, as a reaction to communism, fascism arose. At least it styled itself as as a problem to communism. And then, in part, as an opposition to fascism, in large part, anti-fascism, Antifa, wokeness, whatever, is down over here. And as an opposition to communism, you have ultra-capitalism down over here. And also as an opposition to Antifa, you've got... So this is the next shoe to drop. Like, Bitcoin maximalism, ultra-anarcho-capitalism is kind of like an opposition. Oh, I see what you're saying. So if you look at just by virtue of like a pat like just some straight up like pattern recognition you're like it even then it even looks like it's going to where i'm saying yeah so it's it's something where the if you take the political compass the diagonal axis here the the woke and the fascist are obsessed as you point out with the same things and often come to the many of the same conclusions or but from the premise you know the fascists will say white people are the best and the woke will say white people are the worst but they they're just obsessed with race and biology categorization exactly that's right and then conversely, the other axis, the other diagonal, is the economics axis, right? The political power axis, right? And, you know, the communist and the ultra-Bitcoin maximalist think, for example, and you, do you know what Bitcoin maximalists are? You're going to hear a lot more about Bitcoin, that. Bitcoin, they're just like, they think that what that Bitcoin the, is just they, the only the currency. One. Yeah, yeah. If, if, the, if the communist has replaced... He's exposing me with these questions. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so let's say, you know, basically each of these four corners, you can kind of see, right? The, uh, the communist has replaced... Um, Okay, this is, let me put it like this. There's some folks who have replaced G-O-D with G-O-V, okay? The maximalist has replaced G-O-V with B-T-C. What's G-O-V? Government. Oh, okay. Okay, okay so government. some have replaced the, you know, uh, like God with the government. Oh, right? okay, yeah, right? 100%. And others have replaced it with um, Bitcoin, Government right? with Bitcoin. And if you if you really want to be flip, it's like the, uh, the communists have replaced G-O-D with G-O-V. The fascists replaced G-O-D with DNA. The Wokes replaced G.O.D. with BLM, and the Maximalists have replaced G.O.D. with BTC. Yeah. Gotcha. Like okay. Michael Saylor. Yeah, that's right. And so the thing is, of course, like BLM, the organization, is different than black people because basically, you know, lots of black people don't support, you know, like riots and, and stuff like that. And just like, you know, like the fascists claim to speak for white people, but obviously lots of white people don't support fascism, right? So these are things where they are like these extreme corners that are kind of focused on there's basically two buttons you can push to make humans insane. And those are like the race buttons and the economics buttons, right? The race buttons is I'm being discriminated. If you just think about it, right? In this corner, I'm being discriminated against or I am like the supreme, you know, race or whatever. These things make people insane if you push these buttons, right? And it doesn't have to be like, you know, uh, white people alone pushing those buttons. In many well, ways, China... Yeah, a lot of it's just like a single, like, you know, uh, palatable answer for why you're having problems right now. Yeah, exactly. And so China's pushing this button of we are the supreme Han race or whatever, you know, pretty hard up over there, right? Um, conversely, the communists and the maximalists, this is less discussed, but you're going to see this happen more and more, okay? If you think about what wokes are doing, they're going and accusing everybody of being racist, sexist, homophobe, etc., without any evidence because there's no penalty for a false accusation. There's like, blam, 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 just like firing bullets at people. And if it connects, great. They've got to kill. They gain status. And if not, who cares? There's no penalty for a false accusation, right? What you're seeing now is you're starting to see the emergence of a community that doesn't call people racist, sexist, etc. They call people 
fraud scammer charlatan shill. Grifter. Grifter, exactly. You're starting to see that ramping. Yeah, you totally are. Okay, and Pretty that... Pretty good point. So rather than accusing people... And then you see the right who's always like the left four years ago calling them being like, you're... Or like you're actually sexist, or like uh, yes, that's right, that's right. Uh, like the pedophiles, or like they're just trying to. Use, they're, they're always like four years behind, like doing their exactly. Terms. So so just like if somebody goes left, you go right. If somebody is pushing on the race button, people push on the economics button. If they're pushing on the economics button, they push on the race button. Fuck. Okay. True. So when the communists push the economics button, the Nazis push the race button. When the wokes push the race button, the Maximists are going to be pushing the economics button. Okay. Yeah. And maximalists and communists, you may not know about. So this. how does how do maximalists push the economics button? Is that how is it by the saying you're a fraud to try to take or your like economic? The, so, the fiat so, money's worthless. Well, so okay, so both the no, ma- maximalists yeah, and communists. Sorry. What do maximalists and communists both believe? They both believe that most CEOs are frauds. That uh, you know that everybody's out to kind of you know like d- defraud you. That your, your your money is everything. That you need to um, be distrustful. And, and so on and so forth, okay? The communist thinks the answer is for the government to take all the money. The maximalist thinks the answer is for the government to control none of the money, okay? But they overlap on lots of things. Um, for example, uh, because there's only 21 million Bitcoin, many maximalists believe deeply that one person's gain is another person's loss. If you're getting Bitcoin, like, so you don't see crowdfunding very much in the maximalist community. Yeah, right, because there actually is a zero sum. There's actually well, and a zero also, sum. also, because, yeah, they're always like, because they'll always say, like, hey, you can, in El Salvador, you can buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin. And they're like, why the hell would I want to buy a cup well, of coffee with Bitcoin? It, it, is, it is something where they, they will, you'll frequently see, see maximalists will talk up some product because it uses Bitcoin, but not actually buy with it. They yeah. want people to sort of be billboards for Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay. But they want to, they're just accumulating now, only. Now, I, by the way, I say it this. It is pretty similar. Okay. So I say this as somebody who's like a huge Bitcoin proponent. In the same way, I can get along with a liberal. I can't, in fact, in many ways, I am a liberal. I can get along with a liberal. I can't get along with a woke, right? A liberal is somebody who's like, you know, donating their time to, um, you know, like uh, people and actually doing good deeds. A woke is someone who's burning down, you know, black businesses because of what they saw in the news, right? Like, and well, just, in a lot of ways, you're like a yeah, because you're like a builder, not like a terror downer. Yeah, exactly. Like like you know, can I get behind equal treatment under law? Absolutely. Can I get behind that like perversion yeah, of obviously. it, which is which is like in the lower left corner? No, I can't. Right. And so in the same way, like uh, so, I didn't mention one, which is the zero sum. Another is the premise that all companies, all banks, are scams, no matter what. The communists and maximists both believe this for different reasons. The communists believe Yeah, that. that's fuck. Well, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so, you know, the communist obviously believes it because, you know, these are corrupt capitalists and so on. They believe the government's the, bailing them out. The, the maximists believe it because the government is bailing them out and giving f- them money. Yeah, they get and to... They, they, call they them, can't lose. Yeah, all millionaires... Games rigged, yeah. Exa- games rigged. All millionaires are cantillionaires. Have you heard that term? What's that? No. A cantillionaire is somebody... So the cantillon effect is a real thing where when the government prints money... It doesn't land in everybody's pocket equally. Some people are close to the spigot and benefit from it first. Oh yeah, oh, there's. Oh, I, I see. You were talking about how it depends on where you are placed in the economy because sometimes by the time you get it, it's been four months and now the and price has price all cha- gone up. Okay. Exactly, that's right. And in fact, actually, this is a big part of the impoverishment of the red states over the twenty tens. If you there's a uh, this actually came out before the pandemic. Oh, um, all the red states because it was they didn't get the money, they didn't get the printed money. Okay, because all the money goes to the like 
you know, finance people that they're like operating like that. And then so, so here's what happened. Okay. Here's, here's like, this is, see, the thing is we can't, it's not like a blockchain where I can actually track it and do the forensics on it. I can't prove this yet, but maybe somebody, you know, can put together the numbers and show, it's called this a hypothesis, right? But basically if there's an article in actually the journal, Wall Street Journal, which is like, um, I think it's like Democrat and Republican live in different worlds. Here's the numbers, like 2019. What it showed was that like in the 2000s, there are roughly equal numbers of prosperous and poor Democrat and Republican districts. Over the 2010s, by now, something like 26 out of 27 of the most prosperous districts are Democrat. There's been this enormous shift, right, where the districts that are the wealthy districts are Democrat districts and not over here, okay? Like, essentially, Republicans suddenly just collapsed and went downscale. Why did that happen? One thesis is that the printed money of D.C., went to financiers who also invested some in tech. It's only a trickle in tech, by the way, because like venture capital is only a tiny fraction of what's in the old old money world. But some did go into tech, okay? And so you had New York and DC and tech, Silicon Valley and so on, those were actually rising in as zip codes over the 2010s. Whereas all these guys in the center, uh, you know, all these red states were getting effectively diluted down without even understanding what was happening. It's as if you had a cap table with a million shares and like 10 million more were printed, but nobody could see it happening. Really. And then and, no and it got awarded in such a way that it diluted this guy down who had 50% down to like 5%. And he didn't even know about it till four months. Till his prices were going up and suddenly the dollar is going less and so on and so forth. And it's not even, it's not visible to him and it's deniable because it's all happening. It's not on a blockchain. You can't actually see what's going on. Okay. Now this was actually up to 2019. Now in the 2020s, we've had even more insane amounts of money printing that make that look like, you know, one one tenth of, of what is happening now. Oh, yeah. OK. There. And so uh, so I think you're going to see this even exacerbate to a great extent. So what happens is you have maximalists who will argue. And again, I, as I said, I'm sympathetic to these arguments that all millionaires are cantillionaires. Why? Because they just benefited from this uh, printed money. All banks are bailout, bailed out banks. They're not legitimate, right? All these fortunes are illegitimate. All these uh, companies are scams, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, the entire economy is zero sum. argument for them be like, hey, if I was gonna, you know, it's like if you enter an industry and then you enter an industry, another industry where they're like, yeah, the argument would be like, yeah, that's part of the game. You fucking lobby the government and get them to give free money. It's like, you're like, that was part of the game, like going in. And now you're saying like, oh, they have an unfair advantage. You go, yeah, that's why we went to well, this industry. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? So I, yeah, the so, too so, big to fail stuff where it's like. Yes. So, so uh, like, I'm, I'm not. I'm like, yeah, it's good over here. Become a bank. <laughs> I, so so I'm, I, I'm, I am generally, I, I understand. I'm not, say, I'm not saying I necessarily think that. I'm just saying like, I, 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 I understand that argument. I think the problem is basically, I would argue that the government has so much power that lobbying it has ROI. You know, that's like actually the problem. It's like 500K of lobbying gets whatever million of ROI, right? That's actually the bad part, I would argue. But so just continuing. So the maximalist, A, zero sum, okay? B, they think every millionaire, every bank and so on is corrupt because of this. Uh, C, they think um, they, they will call everybody fraud, charlatan, shill, scammer, grifter. One other thing is maximalists, even more than they hate, um, like, you know, in some ways, fiat currency, they hate so-called shitcoiners, right? What's a shitcoin? The Luna guy. Any, well, well, so that's the thing is, see, okay, Bitcoin, so let's right? talk, well, okay, right? Perfect. What did Danny the, say? That, I, thought, I thought the maxi say anything that's not Bitcoin is a shitcoin. See, you guys gave, it was perfect. What you just did was perfect. <laughs> you know why? 
because he lost his house in Luna, right? Because the second one. Well, because what would somebody define a racist as? Some people would say a racist is a genocidal Hitler, etc. Okay. Some would say it's a person who asks you curiously what country you came from. Uh huh. Yeah. Where are you really from? No, but not even that. Not even that. Just like making conversation on the yeah. bus or whatever, right? Oh, right, right, right. right. Whereas the use, it's the equivalent is someone says a scammer is the guy that like nefariously like you know takes grandmother's money. Or and somebody who likes Ethereum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. All right. So so like part of the this is actually pretty interesting, right? I love it. Yeah. The the spectrum is intentionally something where it's so <laughs> wide to encompass. The most innocuous of behavior. I mean, look, we've seen all these articles like, you know, BuzzFeed are specialized. In, I, you know, Cheerios is racist or whatever. Like, you, you could probably just yeah. do, you should do a show, by the way, where you just take 100 headlines, 200 headlines. Yeah. Oh, I you have? that video. That okay. was like a pretty viral one. All right. Okay, I'll, I'll go watch it. Basically, yeah, yeah. the most ludicrous things, any one of them that charge, maybe you can read the argument. I did a how-to blogging, too, and okay. you, like, take all the things, but I showed all the articles and be like... Here's how to argue something is racist. No, it'd be like... You have like a one wheel that's like a noun, one wheel that's like the verb, and yeah, one yeah, wheel that's yeah, like yeah. the ism. Oh, is this the BuzzFeed like <laughs> yeah. throw the darts thing? Was that yeah. you guys? No, no. it was, a, but it's like a, it's like a game. But basically, at the end of it, I used all the real like. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Great. whatever. Okay. But. So, so the thing is that part of the game here for them, even though it's not like conscious, is the spectrum is so wide that encompasses all normal behavior, and then you can get tagged as racist, and then boom, you're in the same bucket as like Hitler or whatever over here, right? So in the same way- When I'm maybe Himmler. Well, yeah, okay, <laughs> right? So that's like that's like the biological like attack, or the race attack. Then on the other side is like the economics or government attack, right? And so that is something where, okay, there's like an actual fraud or something, and there's like somebody who likes Ethereum or someone who set up a company once, fraud, right? You know, okay, and, and might say, why, why will fraud expand to everybody who starts a company? Well, now here's where you'll have it's to- effective. Well, so it is effective, but here's where you'll have to, you kind yeah. of, uh, you'll have to believe me here, or at least take this as, you know, ad arguendo, okay? Every company is an internet company today, by 2030 or 2040, every company will be a blockchain company because Payments, incorporation, equity, wire transfers, crowdfunding, every operation. That is wild, though. Okay. Yeah, everyone's kids. Like, Dad, can I have some Bitcoin? Well, yeah, but that's Bitcoin. But like every operation that you can think of in finance, in a sense, international law didn't exist before blockchains. Let me explain why I say that. Okay. If you are a company in Brazil and you want to acquire a company in Bangladesh, there aren't too many Brazil-Bangladesh acquisitions. To even know what your compliance obligations are is non-trivial. So what happens? Lawyers will basically take a hub country, like the US, they'll say, okay, Brazil, US, that law is established. US-Bangladesh, that law is probably established. There'd be some deals there. Therefore, we will use a US adapter to go between the countries. Okay, right? I didn't know that. Or China is the other country that does business in like both those countries. So you'll use a US adapter or like a Chinese adapter, typically, okay? Why? Because now you've reduced this problem of you know end to end of every country versus every country to like one to end yeah right? okay so in a real sense international law i mean there's certain things that you know brazil and Bangladesh will have some diplomatic relations or whatever but for some complicated acquisition who the heck knows you that might be the only one that year okay so the law is verbal it's hard to understand what your obligations are especially if it's in like two different languages who speaks both you know portuguese and you know Bangladesh's language not too many okay um so, you know, Portuguese and Bengali is probably some, but not too many, okay? But with the blockchain, a Brazilian and a Bangladeshi could just send Ethereum back and forth. They can interact in the same smart contract. It's all code, which is a universal language of all humanity. So, yeah, I, I, that's another reason why this is replacing, like, 
the American center of and the Chinese things. and the Chinese. Yeah, right. So this is a de- the, okay. decentralized center, a recentralized center. Anybody can now. I mean, the size of what this does for economic growth is not yet being understood. A group of people from anywhere can incorporate a vehicle on chain with a very fixed and known rule of law. They can issue shares. Uh, all this stuff. You know the. When I say issue shares, et cetera, the existing legal system doesn't like this. The USSC, et cetera, is fighting the center. Eventually, eventually, as the current generation passes and, and whatnot, just like with the internet, you know, the, the US government fought encryption tooth and nail. And now HTTPS is mandatory for all websites, HTTPS.ci.gov. That's a mandatory thing. The thing that was forbidden is now mandatory, okay? In the same way, eventually, the efficiency benefits of just having everything on chain will overwhelm the kind of stick in the mud legacy regulators who want to maintain their power. And so what that means is every company, just like it's internet company, every company is a crypto company by 2030 or 2040. It'll be like super obvious then, just like the internet thing where now people have, uh, you know know the term retcon, like Mm -hmm. retroactive continuity. People have sort of retconned it to think the internet thing is much older than it is. But when I say it's 10 years old, you're like, oh yeah, you're kind of right. You know, you kind like of the work, one that we yeah. know it is really. Yeah, the internet world that we Anything know. Anything relevant. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't like during the two thousands, people were like, "Yeah, dot com, that's the next thing." Yeah, you in, were like, you had ICQ, but like whatever. That's it. Yeah, people could basically ignore the internet in the two thousands, right? So there might be a long period where you think you can ignore Web three, okay, but then eventually it'll be something where wait a second, there's like may, may, it might be the crypto phone. So for from like yeah. a normal person standpoint, is it is there any relevance to being like, oh, let me try to get ahead of this or is it just like yeah it'll come when it comes and then you well, almost won't even notice you'll just so, be like oh my tv is like a this now yeah like, so i'll come back to that point okay it's a very very good point let me let me close out one point and then close out that point out. yeah okay, okay. Yeah. so the reason i mentioned every company becomes a crypto company every company is on chain because it's just it's better for international trade for wire transfers for uh, all that stuff is just faster it's more programmable it's just better if you go and send a wire transfer and then send some money and it doesn't work very good yeah no. if you, if insurance you, and stuff right like isn't title insurance a huge thing in blockchain because well so so anything that deals with the offline world is still hard okay just like it took i mean facebook and twitter had to work before uber and airbnb did yeah. Okay, they had to, it was still hard to make the online stuff work. Servers went down yes. and so on. So all that stuff had to work and you had to have Rails and Django, all these, you know, like backend tools before you could then start projecting the internet down onto the land, right? So stuff you're talking about the title, yes, during the mortgage crisis, a huge part of the problem was that they sliced these things up into securities and lost track of everything. And in theory, blockchains could make that way better. In practice, the issue is you need some redeemer that's going to map that title to an offline physical property. So you're going to need crypto friendly jurisdiction yeah. you need some something like a wyoming for example right that's a crypto friendly jurisdiction that marries the online you know like feasibility with the offline jurisdiction okay but i want to close out one point then come to your point then pop off the stack okay yeah, so, yeah, yeah. no i'm glad wh- you were able to stay a little later <laughs> all right so, so why why are the crypto why are the crypto company how is that relevant to what i was saying before well if every company is a crypto company and if every non-bitcoin coin is a shit coin then every company becomes a scam Right, yes. You see what I'm saying? Right, because they're all just scams with shit. We're own shit coins. That's right. And so this is actually similar in some ways. Like, you know. I have a media. Oh, I have this media company. We're not online. Yeah, we're just like a analog one. And you go, okay, so not a company. <laughs> That's right. So, right. So, 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 for example, medieval Christianity had a prohibition on usury, money lending, right? Communism had a prohibition on profit. And Bitcoin maximalists have a prohibition on issuance. What's that? Okay, so more shares. Usury is like, like interest on a, on a loan, right? Um, 
Communists are against profit. Just profit itself means you're scamming somebody. They're, and right? Bitcoin's against any dilution of the... Issuance. Exactly. Issuance of new shares of any kind. Right. right. They don't even have to be against it because in Bitcoin you can't. But it's they're saying right? all these other ones, you're just giving people fake money. Yes. It's all pre-mined shit coins. It's scams. Right. You're like, they're, hey, have this money. You're, you're giving it's like you're giving everyone fake money right now. That's right. So but let me explain why that's actually incorrect economically. In the same way that... See, the Christian who's against usury, there's a good way of saying, hey, don't be in excessive debt. There's a bad way of saying, hey, let's kill all the money lenders, because if you don't have interest, you literally cannot compare two investments against each other. It like it breaks the system for a power user of money. The whole concept of net present value, all the stuff that your finance. Yeah, someone is, else will just come along and do it, too. Yeah, it's, like, it's basically like you need to have interest because you you literally cannot price different investments against each other if there's no yeah, that's rate of the return. biggest. Yeah, that's the biggest factor. Right? Yeah, one it, of them. it is true that you don't want to get an excessive debt. Uh, that part is true. It is also true that and you need true that you can be predatory. With it's it. tr- all that is true. Yeah. But it is also true that you need interest rates, right? In the same way with profit, right? The communist takes the intuition that, oh, that guy's making too much margin or whatever, and turns into all profit is a scam. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, no, because like that is actually what that money's worth because it's like that's what it would have been gaining so, him other places. So a useful way of thinking about it, I finally put some words onto this. There's seller profit. There's also buyer profit. You know what buyer profit is? How much money would it take you to build an iPhone from scratch? Uh, me, I could probably do it for like 15. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but you know, like point is that's like whatever millions of dollars, right? Versus oh, infinity. I infinity. Guess, right. Infinity. Is like right. if you have to build the, your own foundries and stuff. I, I don't yeah. think I'd be yeah. sitting there. Right. Like I'm just five bucks short. That's right. So, so that Pay millions of dollars good. comes down to like 400 bucks, right? Buyer profit is like your margin in that sense, right? Another way of thinking about it is, um, you know, obviously if you're running like a convenience store and you buy milk for $2 and you can resell it for $5, your buyer profit is like three bucks, right? But one way of thinking about it is buyer profit is the difference between your build cost and your buy cost. This is because if you could build for cheaper than you could buy, you just build, right? Yeah. But if you can't, this is basically a measure of like how much it's another way of thinking about it, it's also your reserve price. How much would you actually pay for the thing versus how much did you pay for the thing? And so if you pay $20, you got it for 10 you made $10 in a sense of value, right? Historically, buyer profit has not been visible because seller profit is visible, they do accounting, buyer profit, you don't do it. But whenever you've placed a limit order on a crypto exchange, if you've ever done that, you put a order down for, uh, you know, I'll buy one Bitcoin at 400 bucks, right? You are revealing what the max price you would pay is. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Then if the, if the market debt moves to it, ka-ching, your order is fulfilled you have basically shown what your reserve price is. Point is, once you start thinking about in terms of buyer profit, that both parties to the transaction are coming out ahead, it's not, oh, this guy's getting money and this guy isn't, right? So that's the counter argument for the communist who says that profit is, you know, malevolent, okay? Then for the maximalist, they say issuance is bad, okay? Why is issuance bad? And the thing is, each of these sort of quasi-religious movements pathologizes a different aspect of capitalism because they take the bad parts, which do exist, and they argue that the totality is the bad parts, which is not true, right? So the maximalists, why, does they, why do they pathologize issuance? They say, anybody who's issuing a new coin must be a scammer because look at all these scams. Therefore, all issuance is scams. All issuance is pre-mined, you know, coins. It's all- That's real religious vibes to it too. It's religious undertones vibes. of like, we are the religion, all these other ones, they're fake in, heathens. In, in fact, both wokeness and maximalism have taken pieces of Christianity. In the, you know, the, you've got this Western civilization that's amidst the ruins of Christianity. And wokeness has taken some pieces, like the doctrine of original sin. I mean, exactly. that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you're going to a warm hell if you, you know, climate change, if you don't, like, give up all your stuff and hum- humble yourself and so on, right? And uh, maximalism has taken other pieces. So they love the passage, for example, about, like, Jesus throwing the money changers out of the temple. 
They love that one, right? <laughs> really? Those are my people. So, okay, fine. Yeah. So, so they, they got thrown out of the temple. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. yeah so yeah. they say so post this, you know, or, or they'll talk about, you know, uh, the Genesis block, obviously, but uh, you know how Bitcoin's founding was like the immaculate conception. They'll take that concept, right? So bits and pieces of like, you know, Christian theology have made their way into these nominally secular ideologies, right? Um, and uh, oh, there's some beeping. Craig, I think it's your phone. Oh, I think okay. it's just your phone. On okay. yeah, is that my? Yeah, I don't know. These things interact with phones weird. It's super strange. Yeah, it's either your phone or your burner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, put this here. Um, so, with issuance, just to talk about that for a second, then I'll come come to your other point. With issuance. Um, it seems intuitive. Okay, well, aren't these shitcoins all scams, whatever, right? The thing is, but the one thing they're really big on that they don't like is the concept of pre-mined coins, right? Meaning 40% of coins are set up in this new coin for the founders and 60% go to the community. They hate this. Why? Because Satoshi, you know, mined and anybody, it could, it could have been an open, you know, kind of tournament. Anybody could be part of this, right? Well, first, just on the point of, you know, Bitcoin was totally open. I think it was. However, something like 95% of Indians and 99% of Africans were not actually online in the late 2000s, early 2010s. So they couldn't feasibly have mined Bitcoin early on. So as a fair launch, it was probably as fair as Satoshi could have made it, but it wasn't actually universally fair in some sense. Some people had internet access, some did not. But the second point on the pre-mining, whenever you set up a company, you're pre-mining equity, okay? And why do you give out equity as well as cash to your employees. Why don't you just give out dollars? And the go ahead. Because you want them invested. Well, yes, but deeply it's because, you know, you might say, well, why don't you just loyal to the US economy, right? You know, you work hard, you'll increase the dollars. This is the argument of the Bitcoin maximalists. Why don't you just hold Bitcoin, work hard, increase the price of Bitcoin, right? The issue is that- You're saying you, the company will go up more than the dollar. Well, yes, but why? But you why? want them to believe that. But why, here's why. The reason is your efforts can directly increase the value of equity. Why? Because in theory, the price of, of uh, you know, a share is related, or the value of the company is related to the net present value of all future cash flows. If the company is making money in years three, five, six, seven, you know, like you can discount that to the present day and that's the value of a share. It's $50 under this model, okay? If you work hard, you can bring in a deal for $5 million that boosts the value of those projected cash flows. Then you take that to a venture capitalist, they'll buy your shares. Okay, so therefore, your individual efforts connect to increasing the value of your shares. Okay, whereas you cannot really increase the value of the dollar this way. That's like a drop in the ocean. You know, you can't control Powell monetary policy. Effort at such a large scale of hundreds of millions of people worldwide does not connect with reward. Exactly. So we, we come back to the communist thing, right? Remember in communist China, when those farmers couldn't get a cut of their own grain because they were expected to do everything for the collective. Here, you can go so far to the libertarian right that you are again against the concept of people getting returns on their own effort. Right, because it's all for the common coin. It's for the common coin, exactly, right? So, and you, you, you see all the pieces there, essentially. Essentially, being a maximalist of anything is generally, at least. Uh, That's why maximalist equals fundamentalist equals supremacist zealot, equals zealot. zealot, zealot all this e stuff, yeah. Exactly, right? You know, so that's why I think a better term, in my view, is optimalist, right? Not just in the sense of optimistic, but optimalist in the sense of also like the mathematical concept of optimizing the objective function. What is the optimal? The optimal is not necessarily the maximal. For example, imagine a group of people who call themselves Westists, okay, because they like the idea of California. They keep going west. Then they end up in California. They actually make it there. And now there's a fission within the group. Why? 
because some of them want to keep going west yeah. into the Pacific Ocean. What, are you an Eastus cuck? You know? <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I was just I can gonna, very can, much imagine that conversation You can bet, like yeah. literally that conversation happens on Twitter. I th- you should make that into a clip if you want, <laughs> yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that conversation happens on Twitter a thousand times a day. And what it is, the reason is that ideologies are being used to steer and if they're being used to steer, there's no stopping criteria, right? So let me give you kind of three versions, right? The first is ideologies as steering that just are extremist and th- too much is never enough. There's literally no stopping point. You can never be maximalist enough. You can never be fundamentalist enough. You can just keep, or even never, never be woke enough. Probably even more so. It's like there'll always be someone that could do it more than you. Yes. And there's an endless red queen competition of this about like who is the purest of them all. And you just keep leapfrogging for higher and higher status using these words until you just get to like the la la zone. But nobody can back off from it because they're all you know, just like religious fanaticism, just pushing people off a ledge. Right. So that is kind of, you know, no steering. Okay. Then the second version, which is the hypocritical version, is like the New York Times company version. Talk left, act right. Okay. So they're for the Iraq war before they're against it. Okay? Yeah, exactly. They are, you know, uh, for the, you know, the Chaz zone, you know, in Seattle, in Seattle yeah. before they're against it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so they steer like this and they kind of make money both ways on this. Right. Yeah, but, a little bit. Yeah. But you're to blame. Right. Like, you're, you know, you're the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. No matter what, you're to blame. Right. So, well, so they sort of almost like agree with you after and they were like, yeah, but like you should have like at least tried the other one first. That's that's right. That's right. So so for many people, the safe strategy is to just stick with the party line and then reverse on it and then reverse. Right. This is the same actually as, you know, the Trump supporters who were, uh, oh, you know, they were prepping for the coronavirus and then suddenly the coronavirus wasn't anything. And then they were for the vaccine and then they were against the vaccine. Right. They also like flipped like four times. You know, this is basically like it's tribal as opposed to ideological. So this but but they're using ideological words to talk about it. Really, what it is is I do not trust the other tribe. That's fundamentally what it is. It's it's universalist language for particularist ends. Okay, so this is the like so the first version is being so ideological that you go off a cliff. The second is just flipping your messaging to steer like this without ever acknowledging it to yourself or to others. Right? Yeah, because I guess a lot of it is you see just like you know if if you were running a big company, you're just like yeah, people are gonna you gotta fucking say stuff so they get off your back and it's like it's almost irrelevant you know yeah you, you basically like once you think about a steering it's like crowd control like okay we need to go left for a while let's put out some tell what these, know, whatever so, these fucking peasants will think and you go what about that you just said the other thing you go they're fucking stupid yeah like, uh, <laughs> a, 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 a concrete example concrete ex- yeah no exactly because if they have enough if they if they have distribution then you can't contradict right a great example is in 2020 america was supposedly so systemically racist that george washington everything had to be torn down rebuilt etc now in 2022 what's the message america is the global champion of democracy and all of these non-white countries need to listen i never even thought of that one that's a pretty good point ridiculous right like (laughs) these two things this is domestic propaganda meant to win a domestic conflict right We, we need to spread the thing well maybe i guess their argument is that like we enlightened now but ah so the enlightened the tribe that wins is also the tribe so basically but obviously of course the internet has collapsed this context and this propaganda isn't even that old right so <laughs> no 
You know, so basically, we got enlightened four years ago. If you're if you're sitting Quick. in India, if, but you started doing all this like international uh, democracy spending way before that. It's like yeah, yeah we started a little early. We it, get a dead start. If, if if the president of the United States is saying America is so systemically racist, blah blah, how could like an Indian or a Nigerian or something <laughs> yeah, yeah, possibly yeah. say, okay, you should be the leader of the free world? Yeah, you yeah, said yeah. you're a racist. We're, yeah. a, we're a white supremacist country. Yeah. All right, let's now let's do some stuff in India. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know. If, aren't we white supremacists? Exactly. Like ah, not you know, it is. What it is. it is what it is, right? So, so think about <laughs> Shut this. Up. Right. So this is this is what I mean by like steering, right? And it was actually this is what Orwell also wrote about when he was like, um, Eurasia is now at war with East Asia. You know, basically, the these giant like you know the the Soviets and the Nazis they would put out one message one day and then they put out the next message the next day just as it turned convenient. For example, up until 1939, the Nazis and the communists were oh they're you know they're at odds with each other, etc. Then Molotov-Ribbentrop, the Nazis and Soviets signed a pact. Do you know they started World War II allied with each other? Who? Uh, the Nazis and Soviets? I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. They invaded Poland together. Okay? And so 1939 to 1941, all these communists around the world got the order to, like, U-turn. Now they're pro-Nazi. Oh, and then 1940, they U-turn again. Now they're anti-Nazi, Right. And you know, this kind of, these Where, kinds yeah, of, go ahead. He's been pro the no. whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So the point is these sort of like head snapping reversals are, you know, basically something that you're, ha that you're seeing during these like ideological times. Right. And, um, so why, why do I bring this up? So, so the first version is just the Westist failure mode where you just go and fall into the ocean. Okay. The second mode is sort of the hypocritical tribalism where, you know, it's it's both systemically racist and the global champion of democracy as as suits the moment or whatever right it needs to be yeah. as it needs to be right and uh we, and it's less effective because now those are not separate channels right it's not like you can just message domestically one thing and, and globally a different thing those are all merged into one channel yeah okay so there's context collapse right so there's there's a problem for, for the messaging apparatus on this and um the third model is what i call optimalism here you admit that you have a group that you have an interest, that you're trying to optimize that interest, you are acting in that that self and other interest, but you're not like in this insane Conan the Barbarian way, right? One way of thinking about it, people talk about how communists don't understand self-interest. A lot of nationalists don't understand other interest. Okay. Uh, yeah. What would be an example? A example. So obvious example is you know Hitler, who doesn't even thinks the Slavs are intervention. Okay. So the guys next door, you like kill you know lots of you know, those people. But but lots of nationalists don't assign any weight to the interests of people in other countries. They're okay. like they just care them. about their own country. That's right. Like that. And I, I understand where that's coming from. The problem is that they you affect know, you. The, the way to win is win-win. Like that's the way to, you don't want to play this. You don't want to make it a zero sum game. Yeah, right? exactly. You, you want to make it. If you go out like, you know, like during, during the Trump administration, like, but I think know, that I guess some, I think that if I was to like understand some of those people's points, they're just like, yeah, like it's more important to us to have like our culture to some degree I maintained do. Yes. than, than I these like economic battles. You're like, they're going to lose out. They're like, we don't care. I Maybe get, that would be the argument. I, I do understand. I do understand where it's coming from. However, I think center right beats like nationalist. I mean, it's complicated. Okay. Um, but I think that if you can figure out how to get other people around the world to also win, you can build a larger coalition. And if you, because what you can't have is something where you're like America, if yeah, you know, like, and and then want people from around the world to support you, but you kind of need that in order to maintain that position in the world. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you kind of need to. Or you need like a big war where you're the hero. 
Yeah, I, I totally understand why somebody who is attacked, you know, for their culture. And so and then they rise up like this and they're like, yeah, fuck you. You know, my, my, my culture is great. You know, it's a, I totally get where that's coming from. It is, however, a trap because rather than I mean, this is sort of like the U.S. versus China kind of thing, like the U.S. has become this thing that doesn't actually the only rule of the rules based order is the U.S. is number one. China sees this and is like, OK, well, we're just also going to act completely in our own interest as we see it. And they're completely unpersuasive on the world stage as a consequence. Right. But the third version is actually say uh, a different tack, which is, yeah, you're not having the rules based order, but we want one. We want one to protect both large and small countries, both people in there. And now, of course, that's much easier said than done. How do you have like a muscular classical liberalism? And that's where crypto comes in. Yeah. Right? And also all the stuff that they hate is like mostly coming from within anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. And so I think like this is something where, you know, <laughs> is that the like meme like crypto solves this? Like, it's I mean, like <laughs> it's kind of kind of the meme. Bitcoin solves it. Right. But but the thing is that. Uh, but decentralization, even, like even I mean, if you are. Does, like by it, it just actually does solve most problems. That's right. That's right. It does. It does. It's, well, at least today, it solves a lot of problems. But it's like, it, how do you do it? Ever is like you're just. It's e like easier said than done. Is let, also. Let me give a concrete example. Just to be so. Ben Franklin. He's an American patriot. Okay. It's hard to be more patriotic than Ben Franklin. But he built bridges with the French to beat the UK. Okay. So he was an internationalist and a nationalist. He was able to see outside of his own self-interest to ally with the French, you know, against the communist. You can probably think about that in your personal life like yeah, the same way. That's right. So, so like the smart nationalist is not like a chest thump, you know, America F yeah, but it's somebody who thinks about diplomacy and alliances and coalitions and so on so that they advance their self-interest and other interest, you know? Yeah, or Let, as opposed to someone who's like, you either have to only care about yourself or you have to be like the service of others and you're like, well, both, you know. There's exactly. There's between kind of. I mean, it's it's strategy. like super it's like super obvious if I say it this way, but any CEO does that as well. They have to care about some degree their own company's interest. But if you're doing a deal, the whole point is empathy and understanding where the other guy's point of view is, and maybe you can give on X and Y and Z, and you come out to a win-win. Win-win is so obvious, yet it is like the V3 and the thing I was talking about, right? How can you get to a win-win? It's not always obvious how to do it. The goal is obvious. The way to do it is not. Yeah. Okay. One other thing I'll just say is. I am a fan of when you have involuntary centralization, then we need decentralization, and I'm a fan of that. But I think the the most the most important least popular word in the world now is recentralization, because just like you know when people exit a burning building, okay, that's like decentralization. Get the f out. But then they regroup at a site. Is that just like how every idea is like a packaging or unpackaging? Yeah, <laughs> it is exactly. It's like so you know you have. Um, I mean, it's unbundling and bundling, right? <laughs> unbundling and bundling. <laughs> unbundling and bundling, right? So you have, you know, like newspapers and they're broken up into articles and rebundled into Twitter feeds, you know? Uh -huh. uh, or you have CDs and they're broken up into MP3s, rebundled into Spotify players. So there's like do dozens of examples. I've got, I got yeah. a tweet thread on this. And um, so the, the goal is not totally, it's neither centralized tyranny nor decentralized anarchy, but opting out of centralized tyranny, there's a period of decentralization and then you reopt in it's a rebirth of society okay you have voluntary recentralization you have all of these leaders around the world of these various network states and you know this is the vegan one and this is the crossfit one and this one oh it's like turkish immersion you can learn turkish there or whatever oh and this one everybody dresses like they're from the 1950s whatever just like yeah. you know different yeah, every permutation of that every right? permutation where now you can basically pick and you get your digital passport effectively and you just go and live there right fat slob <laughs> fat slob society there the you fat go fat gay slob society <laughs> love it I was almost gonna leave it <laughs> alright
So uh, you asked one other thing, which is like, you know, how do you like, you know, get into this future or what have you if you if you like it? And um, yeah, or like if you have your like young or whatever, 25 and you're just like, Yo, yeah, my like there's, if this new world's like happening, what's the ways to get so, involved and what does it look like? So um, I would say, so let's say let's branch on. Can you do math or not? OK, if you can do math, learn computer science and learn statistics. That's like the. I feel like I can do math. I'm not going to learn computer science. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. If you, if, I'm just, not just me. I was sure, sure. People. So, so <laughs> if you can do math, then learn CS and learn stats. Why? That's like the physics. What's CS? Uh, computer science. Okay. <laughs> learn, learn computer science. Not going well so far. I know that. <laughs> I, I know. So that. far, not good. Now no, I got the sure. acronym. Now. Okay, got the acronym. Okay. So, uh, learn computer science. Learn stats. Uh, because that's like the physics of the digital world. I got right? stats. Okay. Yeah. Why? Like <laughs> physics, physics is the physics of the physical world. And, you know, uh, like fluid mechanics and all this stuff. That was also, that was all incredibly useful in the 1800s. That's stressful to most people though. You're like, yo, so there's this new world. What do I do? They're like, yo, get really good at math and stats and physics. Everyone's like, I'm fucked. I, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so, so I was saying our first branch. First branch is that, right? So the thing is uh, now increasingly, for example, what percentage of the time do you spend looking at a screen? Too much. Too, way too much. I don't know that. I don't do my, like, I don't put the oh, timer I, I, on it. It's, uh, you know, six hours. I mean, I run a fucking digital media company. Yeah, that's like. right. That's right. So you, but let's say probably at l close to 50% of your waking hours are spent looking at a screen of some kind. If you include your phone, you include your, like, watch and so, you know, let's say at least several hours a day. Oh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't factor in my computer, obviously, which is this whole <laughs> Fine, fine. <laughs> I was just talking about my phone. Okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Not so good. You, you add up, you add up your screen time, it's, it's several hours a day, right? And so everything that's happening on that screen is governed by computer science, which is the algorithms. And then the data that's in databases, you analyze it with stats, okay? So that allows you, whether you're going into Walmart or Johnson & Johnson, you're, you know, you're working with an apartment complex or a YouTube channel, every single organization of any kind for the foreseeable future will have need of people who are good at CS and stats, okay? Everywhere in the world, right? So that's like, if you're good at math, get good at those fundamentals, okay? Now, uh, physics are also, that's also important to know, et cetera, but CS and stats will be immediately monetizable everywhere. That just pays the bills. Good, right? Now, if you can't do math, find somebody who can't. No, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like half joking, but it's basically like, find Lock him into your basement. Yeah. Lock him in, you know, feed them. No. What do I do with my gender? Or her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or them. Yes, exactly, right? So, um, if you can't do math, you can find like a- So you're saying girls are fucked? <laughs> You can find a you can find a co-founder, you can find a friend or something, work with them, right? Or if you're good visually or verbally, create content, right? Basically many, many companies Big content like moving in the future is like Yeah, everyone, I think it's pretty big. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's right. a content guy. Well, like, yeah, yeah. It's good. But the reason being because every like dentist is, is like his TikTok channel now. Like it really is. Yeah, yeah it is because getting there. the reason is like founding influencer is gonna be on par with founding engineer. Right, or founding creator on part of founding. Oh, well, it's part of the whole package. I it's, mean, the Logan the Pauls of the world. Yeah, Logan Pauls, because uh, you can, if you want to just think about it from a, like a, like a pure, um, I always forget if it's left brain, right brain. Left brain is systematizing, right? Correct? And right brain no, is I emotional? Fuck. You're more likely to be right than me, probably. I'm, well, I'm just, I thought left was artistic. Okay, fine. So let's just say systematizing brain, if you want to put that lens on it, the founding creator is the customer acquisition for whatever project you're doing, okay? Every project has some need for quote marketing, um, but the most organic form of marketing is you've built a community 
and the product grows out of that community's needs as opposed to it being you know budded from on high I a community for my music video app <laughs> yeah exactly there you go so so like you guys have a community and probably if you did enough like focus grouping or whatever in that you would find that there were certain things that everybody said hey we would buy together Flashlights. <laughs> auto blows i i i i <laughs> No, you're right. You're, no. You have a very sophisticated clientele. <laughs> no, no, no. I just did. I did auto blow sure, ads. That's right. why. Yeah, and <laughs> and so you could probably angel invest in that. You could have an angel investor provide. The, so if there's somebody, either you have the capital yourself, or there's a lot of angel investors out there. Yeah. As a content producer, you figure I mean, out. We talked to some of your friends about doing like you know a movie and there, things like that. But there that's, you go. that's a still in the. Uh, still selling content to, again to the people like content as opposed to what you're talking about. Exactly. So the thing is, I think the con, I mean, one way of thinking about it is all content becomes content marketing. Okay. Or commu or community <clears throat> building. And then you build a community because the thing is, look, selling a YouTube video or a, or Substack that's actually relatively cheap relative to solving a genuine problem in somebody's life. Like the amount yeah. that they would pay for a genuine problem solved versus this. Right. So another way of thinking about it, you know, the, the social network movie. Okay. That was, it was, uh, you know, you've probably seen it like in 2010, right? It did a few hundred million dollars in box office, pretty solid. Yeah. If, however, the movie had been free and there had been a link at the end to invest in all the founders who came out of that, that would have made way more money. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Like by orders of magnitude, more money. Okay. I always have ideas for apps. Maybe I need an app. So if you guys, <laughs> well, if you guys make what I'd call investable content, right? And that might seem that, at first. No, but I know it's just the same as why it's like, you know, if you're like a, get rich youtuber like your ads are worth a fuck ton more because yeah. there's a like you know exactly what those people are all looking to buy stuff to and they're all trying themselves. to get they're all trying to make money so there's yeah but more, also more, like, you know like t if, if you're listening to tim ferris you're the type of guy that you know exactly what has some disposable buy. income or whatever yeah but also you're yeah. type gonna buy something that'll help get you fit you're gonna buy something that, whatever yeah. it's, exactly. everyone has a version of that but certain markets like you know if you're a, a girl that your audience is like you know, 12 years old, like you might, I don't know, I guess if they're rich, but you know, there's certain demos are worth way more than that. Exactly. Every community has some like level of stuff that they're getting. That's not there. Uh, or, 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 Girls are worth more actually. Well, yeah, more household spending, I think is by women, you yeah. know, right. But so you have, so, so that's, that's the second approach, right? You're a content producer of some kind. You don't have to be an elite YouTuber or something like, like you guys. And you're, and then you essentially interface with like blockchain people not just blockchain people, just tech people in general, right? You've got you've got your technical side, you've got your kind of humanity side, you've got two in a box, your engineer and your creator, and that happens at like the most senior levels of any organization, but also all kind of junior levels down, even to like an individual product or an individual feature. You'll have somebody who's making like the video or the story or whatever for it, and the person yeah, who's yeah, coding yeah. it. Right? I've done a lot of that before. You've done a fair yeah. amount of that, right? So that's that's like those two, and then. Um, as an investor, right, which is kind of a different thing. So these are active. This is where you're putting in labor, right? If you're on the math side or if you're on the content side. So that's if you're putting in your labor. If you're putting that's in the future, math or content. Kind of, yeah. I mean, like, interesting. Uh, of course, there's there's more to it, but that's roughly how people cut it, right? Stem <laughs> Some guys not gender studies degrees. See, told you when everyone was yelling at me last episode because I said that I don't care that I can't fix anything. Bug and everyone was calling me Content is valuable. It's very valuable, right? Yes. So the you know code scripts, machines, media scripts, minds. You know, and so you need to kind of be able to program both, and that's why you need both. And ooh, that's a good, that's right? a good right. And so the the third is capital. So now, as opposed to labor, where you're putting in your time, capital, you're putting your money. Everything is now opening up in terms of investing. That is a big thing about Web three is you really can, you will be able to invest in basically anything. Okay, what I mean by that is, if you have some bet that, um, I mean, one way of thinking about it, and this is not super obvious, but 
many things and I probably need to yeah, go in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, many many things are a form of arbitrage okay so for even like a a little deli or or a or a convenience store let's say convenience store that's a form of arbitrage why because they're buying water bottles wholesale and they're selling it retail okay they have some thesis on how many people come into their store and what price they'll pay they'll pay five bucks or whatever and they'll buy them for two bucks i don't know the exact price let's just say something like that right so arbitraging that this thing wholesale is worth more retail and they're making money on the difference of that right now you take that convenience store and you turn it give into give them a TikTok. <laughs> well, wait, wait, almost. There are. Almost. There's so many bodegas I in know. New York that so are all over TikTok. Okay, so you're almost there. Okay, so but first, but let's go step two. Step two is you take that convenience store and you virtualize it. Now it's on Uber Eats. It's a digital storefront. Uh -huh. Okay, maybe it doesn't even exist, like in the sense of like a normal sense. Like you, you think that there's a physical storefront that matches. Now more and more things are just built for Uber Eats or built for Grab. They're so-called you know cloud kitchens, back-end type yeah, things. Yeah, ghost, ghost kitchens and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. now they can just change the decor with a new graphic designer. That content creator makes different art, and this is the Liquid Death branded water, and this is the other, you know. So now you can try different aesthetics, different copywriting. Oh, you know, anything. I mean, water is, by the way, like almost a perfect example of just how branding can differentiate. You've Wild. got Evian, you've got all these different things, right? Okay. So you have these different storefronts. You can actually iterate on your different storefronts. You can also iterate on like your store's positioning. You can't move your physical convenience store that easily, right? Though store placement is a huge consideration for Starbucks and others. But your digital store, you can be, you know, you can place your Uber Eats ads in all these different locations. You can figure out, oh, people, you know where they really want water? At Jones Beach. Okay, there they really want. I want my convenience store on Jones Beach. I want to advertise to these people here, but not other places. Boom, cold water right now, okay? So now you virtualize that store and now you've got a more uh, focused arbitrage um, like proposition, right? More of it is being digitized. You're literally buying X and selling Y with this like virtual storefront there. Now your TikTok guy comes in to drive people to that storefront, okay? And when you start thinking about it this way, many businesses are in a sense a form of arbitrage. They're buying wholesale, selling retail. Almost every store that you it's ever- retail is business model, period. retail yeah. business model. That's like an enormous swath of stores are like this. I guess unless you make it. Yes, and and so an enormous swath of stores are becoming digital storefronts, right? And so what happens is all of these things, not today, not next year, not in three years, but probably in 10 or 20 years, all those things become like Web3 bettable. Because you can now have some thesis on, okay, people are gonna buy a lot more water today, and so you can you know buy into that. Okay. Yeah, and like in terms of a token, in terms of a token, or in terms of some kind of derivative or we some kind of asset. That, yeah, you right? should be able to bet. Well, they have like all the betting. We were talking about some betting market for what were we talking about? No, we were saying there needs to be a betting market for like, like that's attached to you know, like Andrew Tate became the biggest person in the world. Then right. you don't hear about him again. Yeah. Not that you don't hear about him again, but like it's just not, no one is that popular for that quick. F Futures like, market on 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 page views. Uh, I, I yeah. guess it would be like impressions of the name, but like yeah. you know, let's yeah. say we said like even uh like what would be like a i don't know what ukraine or whatever like just anything where you go just the number many, of mentions of the word yeah you're it's like basically the popularity of right. someone like the, we like the same way you could bet Probably on a creator with where you, I, I mean i just always said like you know like when you think of like an artist i'd be i, I know that guy's gonna be bigger i said i you i think that about it. the first time i heard it i was just like this guy i'm gonna hear more from because you could just tell like jordan peterson i would heard that i remember i always say rapper six nine i very early on i go that guy's gonna be the biggest rapper i feel like i've been right so many times about things and, and now you like, can bet on that well how yeah right yeah so and what well, someone has to just take the other side of it right 
Well, personal tokens are actually a primary sale, so you wouldn't have to. This is a great question. So primary versus secondary sales. Do you know the distinction? Uh, well, primary, no, no. Okay, so a primary sale like is... Like where, where you issue it? Your, your question is a very good one, so I'll give it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. That's right. Primary sale is where you are issuing it or a company is issuing it. So a venture capitalist, when it's a primary sale of stock, is buying the stock directly from the company and putting in $20 million, right? That is, you know, primary sales in general are considered good because that money is going in and then that company is spending it on products which will increase the value of the stock for all parties by the mechanisms we discussed earlier where you're increasing the NPV of the stock, right? The secondary sale is when that venture capitalist then goes and sells the stock to somebody else. That is now secondary and money is changing hands between the two parties, but it's not going to the company for productive endeavors. Okay. Okay. So the similar concept can be extended to the issuance of a so-called personal token, which is just like the company sort of securitizes itself and sells some shares to fund current activities and the belief that it's going to become more wealth sharing in the future. But basically, yes, there are personal token. Um, I mean, it's, it's hard to build a startup. Order. You know, there are various personal token things. One of them will eventually work and you'll be able to tokenize yourself. And so your kid in, you know, the middle of, you know, Moldova or uh, Mexico. And now you can issue a token and you can get $30,000 of capital from people around the world speculating that you're going to be maybe the Mexican Jeff Bezos or maybe not that big, but maybe you'll be able to be like fairly successful. And now you can take that money and you can actually go and maybe get podcasting equipment or whatever it is, right? Uh, and uh, you That's the other time. People like these days, it's like, what do you even do with capital? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, well, so you might buy some equipment. You might, buy, might They might buy a computer, do some AI stuff, whatever it is, right? Yeah. And then uh, then they, they now are, they've increased their productive capacity and they sold, you know, some amount of this and now the remaining tokens are worth something more, right? So that's like a primary sale, as you're saying. And then people right? would just then start trading them to speculate on that person. And you could have various lockups and stuff like that. He might not want anybody to hold their personal token. You might also make it so the personal token, the best probably model for that is you can redeem it for like one hour of the person's time. Oh. Right? So you're selling like 100 hours of your time. So there is an actual utility. There's a utility to it. And then you might put limits on that. It's like, okay. That's in like Gary Vee shit, you can't, I feel like. Yeah, you can't make them like dance naked or something like that, but you might make them uh, be like a... <laughs> I, like, like, I won't be your butler for a week. <laughs> All right, different people will have different value propositions, right? <laughs> some people will be yeah, like some some butler coin. Like my time. <laughs> yes. So, what so do you want me to do? Just sit there in silence? There'll be various restrictions on transfer and usage, whatever. But this way people could just sell a few hundred. I mean, it's literally like consulting. It's micro consulting. If consulting is okay, this is just like that, right? Yeah. So sort of like speculative consulting. And if you had bought an hour of Bezos's time when he was 18, and now, Ooh, you, yes. now you could cash that in, that would be worth a lot. And Bezos might just buy you out rather than waste his time. Uh -huh. Right, yeah. Right? So that's the kind of thing which I think is an interesting. Now, there's various issues around this, which is like, what if the guy just runs away with the cash, et cetera? And one way around that is so-called. Or, or like. Just says, I don't, yeah, like, Don just doesn't yeah, redeem it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. just like you can't get a hold of them. Well, I guess yeah. at that point, the exchange would have to be culpable, and then there's like, well, something so, so this is this is to be worked out, but probably the best bet would be they have a dot ETH name, like, you know, Joe, Joe Smith dot ETH, and this personal token is attached to that, and so is other reputation. They're like posting on social media with this, and so on and so forth. So if they dodge, they have to sort of just abandon that entire name. And you're essentially betting that they've built up some reputation under this name so that, you know, now you have some collateral effectively. They don't have to give up their, quote, state name necessarily, but they have collateral in the sense of this entire account and everything that's linked to it. People will see that this person didn't pay back 
that account. And, and, so, and that's like the username oh. of usernames, essentially. Like yeah, yeah, your, your yeah. Your .eth is it's like the ENS thing, right? It's like the ENS thing. That's yeah, right. Yeah. That's something. So, you know, very specific recommendation for people. If you haven't got your .eth name, you should probably get it. I, oh, I bought yeah, mine well. last year. I, well, I spent $1,000 on it. I still don't know if it's a good... Good it's, use it's, of money. You'll, you'll probably be happy. Okay, I'm going to write yeah. down to get mine. But we should yeah, always yeah. put a pin. I'm starting to feel bad. You're like already an hour late here. Anyway. But, <laughs> um, dude, I, that is very nice of you to stay an extra hour. And it was like yeah, super was cool hanging out. But cool. Everyone, right. everyone can go to the network state. Like, the networkstate.com. Networkstate.com. Yeah. Free, free online. And then the cool thing was you have like a one sentence and one paragraph. And then a one. like you, And it's updated constantly. Yeah. It's updated. That's right. So I'm going to try and do it. It's a big, like a new version of a book. It's a living it's a new, book. It's a living book. Living That's book. right. It's actually, you know, what's funny is it's actually pretty hard to update on Kindle. So the website is actually the best version oh, of it. Right. Yeah. Kindle, it, like Kindle itself is actually. It just you update and it takes a, like what? It's a, you process it again. It takes a long time, yeah. et cetera. So um, the V2 of the book will be. Uh, you know, hopefully sometime next year there'll be a lot of stuff coming up, but I'm just intermediately updating it on, on route. So go check it out. Let me know your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, and then on Twitter. It's oh, Twitter, I'm at, at BalaGS on Twitter, and it's also at the Network State on Twitter. Hell yeah. So, Dude, you're the man. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So, so, so Thanks, guys. The boys. The boys. The lads. The boys. The dudes.